Hey, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new X's for Show, the show where we bring you the best media has to offer, and I could not be more excited than to bring you today's program, but to who I am, I am Nico. You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and then these guys... I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And that makes me Kevo. I'm the guy who pushes the buttons, and you can find me at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And we are here to to do it Danza, to to sing it Shaloub, to um. Okay, that's all the Tony's I know. Yeah, I'm so excited because one of the things that we've loved so much on this program here on X's for show is talking about the different things that make our fandom. You know, we started out with comics and we also had HTML. We talked about a lot of movies, a lot of TV. And, uh, you know, it was about time to bring it all together. And that brings us to the opportunity to talk about uh, everything we love. And one of those things is the Tonys, Broadway, musical theater in general. And that is, of course, why I'm decked out like I am going to a high school prom. um, Because nothing says the Tonys like high school prom. So, uh, you know, something that maybe everybody doesn't know about me is uh, I'm an aspiring uh, musical writer and opera writer. librettist you can check out my work on my soundcloud uh but like musicals tony's that's like that's something that like really means something to me and uh how about you guys kevo you go ahead fair enough uh you know well we are the disney renaissance generation i feel uh you know and so that was definitely something that imprinted on many of us growing up in the first place uh but you know also, just a general musical theater is A-OK type uh, upbringing. Uh, the school play was a big deal, as big at least as like the sports were, which, you know, were also not that big a deal. So it's just, you know, it was just a very, it was just one of those things. And so I fell in with a crowd that uh, was uh, high on musical theater. And so it developed from there. Uh, I saw more shows than I could count for you off the top of my head uh, the summer between senior and uh, senior year of high school and college. And uh, yeah, you know, just always generally enjoyed them. They're fun. It's not something that I like perhaps have the same breadth and passion as Nico. But yeah, definitely uh, would say a musical guy. I will say the way that the two of you talk now, it feels like the passion is pretty equal. Uh, not in any kind of bad way, but um, we've probably you know, met in the middle. I think. Yeah, it's it's very that is a shared thing in your relationship. I uh, for all I, I really don't engage now. I used to be very into theater for myself, uh, musical theater as a thing. Uh, early 90s, I saw like every musical that I can get my hands on. I mean, right off the top of my head, the ones that I really fell in love with were like Cats, The Secret Garden, even Phantom of the Opera, which I saw in London, Ooh. which was very cool. Secret Garden. Uh, can Kevo, can you say out loud? I mean, Secret Garden, that's one that uh, our JoJo loves. And, uh, mm, so, Secret Garden. Yeah. And he's over uh, in the studio with Kevo right now, kind of just doing his own thing but uh secret gardens one he definitely loves so secret garden is remains one of my favorite musicals to this nice. day nice um 
I had a weird thing where, like, the last musical I saw for a very long time, we were just talking about this, was uh, The Lion King in 2000, 2000, maybe just 2001, where uh, my parents brought me to soften the blow later that night when they were announced they were getting a divorce. Um, we combined that with a far too expensive private school with a fantastic theater program that like couldn't manage to put on a stage play let alone a musical and then going to nyu home of programs like cap 21 i just became very disenfranchised with musical theater really hard from 14 to 18 in a way that like I never recovered from until I met these guys who reminded me why I thought it was cool in the first place. But it really went from like a big passion to just like, it was a food poisoning thing. Like the, just a bad taste got left over a period yeah. of time. Um, That's like that, when you fell out of love with Disney, like for a while, he was yeah. not a Disney guy. And then, you know, yeah. you, 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 if, if it's something that you, it's meant to be, you find your way back or you don't. And that's, yeah. That's lovely. The last play that I saw was The Drowsy Chaperone in 2008, maybe? Harriet Sansom Harris bringing down the house in her Tony Award winning role alongside Foughton Suster. Everybody's love favorite. love Foughton Suster. Yeah, everybody's favorite ice cream dessert. I love ordering a Foughton Suster whenever I'm out at uh, Lindy's. Doing everybody's, the Lindy favorite, everybody's favorite Girl More Girls guest star. That's what she's known for, right? Stars, stars, hollow. Um, you know, I have to admit, you know, whenever Aaron Sorkin says a New York sense of humor, I'm sure I'm not what he had in mind, but it is. Uh... So uh, I want to sort of just jump in with like one of the things that's so cool about theater and the experience of theater is you have so many different ways you can experience theater, whether it's the magic of regional touring casts, where these are unbelievable performers bringing the experience of having performed all over the world this show and knowing how to make it exactly right for this audience. Or it's the luxury of where we're from, the Northeast, where we can just kind of like hop, skip over to Broadway. But like I grew up on some of the finest performers giving some of the finest performances. And like I, I just feel so spoiled for it because it it makes things that should be a little bit more magical. Maybe sometimes I'm like, Oh, but where's Patty, you know, Patty Lapone. Cause we're on a first name basis, obviously, but she uh, was down in Atlanta filming Coven of chaos. And you That's know, true. I, I grew up like really lucky that like my dad is like the most theaterish you can be. Uh, I'm so lucky that he really in cultured uh, a sense of theater in our home uh, and so when his son came out, you know, a screaming homosexual, he uh, also has a very. Uh, it's more very... of a belt, belting homosexual. The yeah, scream is a... very musical. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's scream. It, yeah, it's it, it varies. Um, but one of the things that I really love about having grown up in the Northeast and having had an opportunity to still connect with Broadway is like my senior year, my school put on my first musical. Uh, it was restaged at my college while I was there, you know, uh, and like I've been working in theater for a long time and I have access to such an incredible wealth that like things like the Tonys mean something to me, not because I necessarily think it it says what's the most important, but something I can't help but notice is the way the Tonys influence the way theater happens around the world, the way theater happens around the country, what gets made into a movie, what's considered mm. the hot ticket, what and like 
it's always that thing of like, I remember the episode where Jamie gives birth on Mad About You. Uh, she goes into Braxton Hicks. Uh, did you hear that, Jonah? The Braxton Hicks contractions. And um, she... Uh, Goading the boy. Fran shows up. Fran, who I can't think of the actress's name, but she's tremendous. Oh, yeah. And she goes, no, it's no big deal. I was just at rent. And tickets are just $2,000 a piece. It's no big deal. And, uh, you know, then the Hamilton reference. Yeah, the Hamilton uh, joke of its day. Yeah. You know, and then Hamilton being in, like, Weekend Update and, you know. Um, it's upon a time season six finale. There's a reference to them being impossible to get even with magic. And it's, yeah. And, like, the the enculturation of the memagery of Ben Platt is an old man. <laughs> Platt is an old man and uh Leah Michelle that wasn't Pan- regional though that oh, belonged to the world that's what I'm saying and Ben Platt uh but like also Leah Michelle uh would never be able to come at me if I made a joke about her illiteracy because she wouldn't be able to read my name so yeah, she can't um, find you I'm safe uh I just think it's really amazing the way these shows these like 20 theaters have such an impact on the world and uh, they are rarely the first place to get these shows. They are rarely the first iteration. These shows appear all over the world first. So I just wanted to take a minute to kind of be like, theater isn't just these 21 houses and these 200 actors. Theater is everywhere. Somebody has the spirit of putting on a show because I can tell you this much. I do consider myself a playwright and a libretticist. And I can tell you that I have never been performed on one of those stages. However, I, uh, quick little faggy claim to fame. Uh, my senior year at Kane, no, my freshman year, sorry, my freshman year at Kane University, uh, there was a program called Kane Stages and the cast of Rent, the, the then active cast of Rent, eight of them came to my college and you had to audition and you had to be in the theater program and you had to be an upperclassman with X many credits. And I didn't know that. And I walked in and I just said to my theater professor, can I audition anyway? And she was like, and I was like, I'm here. Did you really not know? I really didn't know. I just heard it and I wanted to do it. And like, I heard you could be staged into rent. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to show up. And my theater professor was like, you want to audition? And I was like, yes. She was like, what do you have prepared? And I was like, I have prepared an unforgettable performance of Embraceable You. And she was like, shut up. I'll let you do it. But that was too stupid. (laughs) Do something better. You're trying to audition for rent. And I was like, can I just do something from rent? And she was like, sure. And so she put me in rent. And uh, the cast was incredible. They were what being- did you do? Now you have to tell us. You can't tell that whole story. Uh, I honestly don't remember. Fine, think, come back to it. I think I just did a, a bit from Rent. I, I don't. It was on the okay. spot. Plan a CD. Um, but she, you know, put me in the show, and it was a really unforgettable experience. And it's one of those things where, like, uh, I have this clear memory of they threw a dinner for us, and so we're all having dinner together, and. I'm telling a story that I know is a common bit of fandom. And there were two sisters who were both connected to Jonathan Larson. They both knew him and they were then ultimately in the show and both partially the inspiration for the iteration of Mimi that's in in the performance. Uh, And they are Yasmin and Carmine Allers. And it just should be said that I think Carmine Allers is one of the finest women to ever grace the role of Mimi. Just an unbelievable performer. I had always been a big fan. And so then we're at this dinner together and I'm saying to her, well, and that was the time that Yaz almost went on and she cuts me off mid-sentence and she goes, sweetie, that's my sister. Are you just calling her Yaz like you know her? And I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. That imprinted on you real hard. And she just goes, you know what, honey? 
You remind me of my first prom date. He was so gay and so sweet. And I was like, if the takeaway is that I'm sweet and not appropriative, I love it. And so, um, and the cast was just incredible. And the idea of getting to connect with a show like that, I, maybe that's why I've I've never been able to let go of one. I mean, I've wanted to write musicals for years before that. And I've written and had my own performed. But like, I, I just could never... I'll never forget what it felt like for this show that's always meant so much to me to make room in their world for me. Uh, and then we were showing Jonah some scenes from Red earlier and I'm doing the choreography and I can't help it. And Because like, you know, I, I learned it from the dance captain. So like, I feel like it's special that I know. <laughs> it's the same choreography that you'd learn if you watched it on YouTube. It's not special, but that idea of being there but that's, no that's one else learned it direct well, but, and that's what makes live theater a little bit different than movies you know what i mean yeah. like movies are incredible i love movies but a movie's kind of static except the way you read it um a a play changes every night i remember one time i saw rent and it was manly pope and joey fatone and um roger and mark and that night out of nowhere manly pope gave joey fatone like a kiss on the cheek uh, in this really pivotal scene and I was like that completely changes the scene and like that's what's so cool one little change in the, in the stage direction for one minute transforms the show and like the shows we're here to talk about today I can see Kevo has the beautiful graphic up the shows we're here to talk about today are just such incredible shows I would love to get that up so we can just see some of them yeah uh, you got it the uh, unbelievable oh. number of shows up for the nomination. We have Anne Juliet, Almost Famous, Bad Cinderella. <laughs> the Neil Diamond musical, A Beautiful Noise. Kimberly Akimbo, I Root For You So Hard. K-pop, We Never Should Have Lost You. You Should Be Running Today. New York, New York. Shucked my uh, my personal top runner. Uh, Some Like It Hot, Mimi, if you're watching, we root for your Mimi. Anything you want, baby. I love you. Um, we have Mama Meme. Mama Mimi. Whew. We have our revivals of 1776, Bob Fosse's Dancing. Uh, I hate how small Fosse's name is on that playbill. We have Camelot by Aaron Sorkin and also everyone else. We have Into the Woods, which will never be off Broadway for more than five years. We have my, I can't believe I have to say, number two, I, any other season. This would be my number one pick for revival, but uh, Parade, even Ben Platt won me over, never expected that. Um, but of course, my my number one musical of all time, my, like the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> My favorite piece of fiction ever on a stage. Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. The finest piece of musical theater ever written. I just can't say enough good things about it. It is featuring who? Annalie Ashford. Who? That kid from Stranger Things. Who? Okay, listen. Josh Groban won me over so hard here. The tonal quality he puts. Like, he's really, like, the resonance. Uh, I was maybe a little bit surprised by how soft some of his hits were, but I really, really, really was impressed. Kevin, I thought you loved Annalie Ashford, the Mrs. Jordan Lund. Fisher. Oh, right. Jordan Fisher. Um, yeah. So I, I just can't say enough good things about this slate of shows. Uh, Kevo, uh, 
TK, did either of you have any you know, like real experience with any of these beforehand? Uh, and I will accept films or genres of music that whole shows are named after. But much like the Tony Awards, I will not accept a city featuring reused songs as an original score. Uh, no, very, very little experience for me. Uh, the most I probably have is with Sweeney Todd, and that experience is you two making me watch a lot of it, uh, which has been very fun. I've learned a lot about the Toddiverse, as it were. And... <laughs> you know that you are part of Nico's pack when he makes you watch like the first third of one production of Sweeney Todd and never comes back to it. Yeah, I mean, it was the first half of like three, but you know, we definitely didn't come back to it. So, no. um, oh gosh, I mean, a lot of the other ones I really don't have experience with other than like, you know, their source material, almost famous, obviously. That was a big movie from our time. I can't say I would have elected to see it made into anything other than like, you know, uh, an immersive GTA style video game in which you beat up rock stars because <laughs> they all deserve it. But we went with play instead. Who would have thunk? Oh, I uh, do love that though. You know, K-pop. Is it a lifestyle or is it a play? Who can say? I'll never find out because apparently it's not running anymore. But had I realized in time, I might have gone to see that. Um you know, I I I love the work of Bob Fosse so much um, that I I would truly be. I mean, so many of these, I, I it's it's such a like I would be so lucky to just go see one. Uh, actually, you know, the the biggest one that really made me think that was uh, as I was on my way to see you last week, and I got off the uh, train on Third Avenue to walk to the train station. I passed by the theater that. Uh, shucked is in and oh. you know saw all the signs and i thought I that one that would probably be really cool that would be really fun and it's i believe across the street from the theater where aladdin is playing and i thought uh i don't want to see that it's all right now it's fine or is it just din how about laddie um okay i have to be honest my shirt is hypnotizing me and i can't do it anymore so uh, what we need to do is, number one, we need to bring in uh, a tour de force, a Tori de force. Uh, also, queen. if I may, the violet one might look really nice, especially with the purple accents in your background. Well, thank you. Uh, but the, the queen herself, uh, our very own Broadway uh, goddess, Tori. Our stage queen. Our stage manager, Tori, come in and tell us what we got to know uh, to get going. What is your experience with these shows? And uh, <laughs> what is, wait, well, let me ask a better question. Uh, Take bottom. Do you have any any experience with theater or Broadway? Oh, yeah, definitely. Have you heard of any of these? Terms? Do you know what Broadway is? I do we need to that. explain theater? You want me to mansplain I'm to actually you about to correct 50% of Nico's opening monologue. Let's get into this. Ah. <laughs> um, hi, folks. My name is Tori Sheehan. You can find me on the internet at smtori on Instagram and at Tori underscore Sheehan on the Twitters. Uh, welcome to my bread and butter, folks. I I uh, 
much like Kevo started off in theater in uh, in high school because in middle school I uh, made the ex terrible decision to try to try out for uh, Peter Pan and Oliver <gasps> by singing um, an acapella version of Christmas Shoes, and somehow I was not chosen. With my incredible I have no tone memory deafness. of that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, anyway, that I was, was a boy. I barely needed to sing. Yeah, you just, uh, we had several boys that would show up at our high school auditions and sing your grand old flag and then get like lead supporting actor. Um, what's up? Um, so, yeah. So, uh, and then I got into high school. I became a stage manager. I loved it far more than anything else. And so then I went to school for it at good old Ithaca College, uh, home of last year's uh, leading performance by a male artist, Aaron Tveit, who never actually graduated and hated it there, but that's fine. Um, I have done, uh, I've had 10 years of professional stage management, unionized experience under my belt. Uh, I've, I've worked on, I have worked on a show that uh, was a Broadway show, but only in rehearsals. Uh, I worked on. I worked on Nathan Lane's show that they did, and I cannot believe that it is escaping me right now because my brain is literally falling out of my ears. But it was a wonderful show about uh, that was actually a play uh, about nineteen thirties, forties New York Pictures uh, and gays. No, he's in that this season. And okay. he prefers okay. his corned beef with mustard, not mayonnaise. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I know. Um, you know so what? Yeah, I get that. So, yeah. So I, uh, I've i been doing this for a long time. The Tonys are my Super Bowl. I used to live tweet these things. Um, I have a pretty decent idea of how, like, these things go. Uh, if anyone do, – do you want, like, the, the, like, basics of, like, what makes a show on Broadway versus off-Broadway? Like, what um, – all of that kind of stuff. Do we need that? Oh, he's changing I'm, I'm, shirts. I have the boss <laughs> next to me. What do you think? The boss. I mean, we can start off I'm with the fact the that audience. there's 42, 43 Broadway theaters, not 20. <laughs> I'm live on air and you're talking to me. <laughs> oh. He's just like... Casually standing at the closet, like hmm. I hear the word the words like pex out gyrating was used for I believe both Bad Cinderella and several others this season. So it's great that we got some shirtless. Um Yeah. I actually it's actually really interesting to me that we have a bunch of Pulitzer Prize past Pulitzer Prize winners of drama in the original play category this year. I know we've got musicals up right now, but uh, the fact that we mm, have three that, yeah. and uh, if I had my guess, if they were going to pick a show that's on Broadway this season, we're going to have Fat Ham is probably going to get it. Mostly because Leopoldstadt is not about the American experience, which is an important part of the um Pulitzer for drama. Um, I love that so many of these shows came from the off-Broadway world. I love that so many of them had spent a lot of time in the regionals. I have a lot of thoughts on how these shows are going to do once they close uh, out in the regional theaters and like how many of them are going to be uh, those kinds of decisions. But yeah, like the reason why show, some shows are Broadway and some shows aren't is because it's about size of theater within a certain geographical circle. 
that off-Broadway is a certain size of theater in a wider geographical circle. Off-off-Broadway is barely a thing. And again, wider geographical, but generally more south. Um, and then you can get into like the League of Regional Theaters. There's like five of them in New York City. Lord. One of them's Lincoln. Yes, one of them's Lincoln Center. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I have lots of lots and lots of thoughts about how these shows are going to shake out. And a little, bit of, a little bit of tea about some of these. So I'm excited. Now, I just want to go on record as saying, you know, it's it's so funny that like whenever Tori comes on, I'm just like, Tori, tell me what to think. Um, because, you know, that's it's the nature of our relationship. It's very give and take. It's very like introduce me to this world. Help me understand this world. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I really do love is that as somebody as somebody who loves an industry, you mm-hmm. always think you understand it. Mm-hmm. Even as somebody who wants to get into it, because you're sold a bill of goods by the people in the industry as to what it takes oh, to yeah. get in. Oh, yeah. But when you meet somebody with the like, I, and I hate to put it this way, but the scars like, you know, it wasn't that you came to me and were like, you know, oh, sweetie, you don't know that much. It's that you came to me and said, you have a great understanding as somebody on the outside looking in. My perspective is a little bit more informed by experience. Mm-hmm. So... Let yeah. me show you things that maybe you don't understand from the outside. And it's really been a valuable thing for me as uh, it, it's changed how I write even because one of the things you said to me is you should just write it. Don't worry about the size of the theater. Don't worry about the production. Mm-hmm. Just make the show. And that's become something that I define a lot of these shows by where I can taste the artifice, Bad Cinderella, she she ain't that great, but it's also about things like like I know how much it costs for a show to go up, like right. what it costs every week to get that to keep that train moving, and how many seats they're going to have to sell in each of these to go through the thing. How the fact that you can bet that as we head towards a recession, we're heading towards uh, more properties that are already known entities. There's very very few chances being taken. I actually think that K-pop would have done a lot better if Broadway still wasn't recovering from COVID. It would have been given a much larger shot at mm-hmm. things. That runway um, design, those LED walls, the really intricate in developed choreography. And that the global oh. tourism would have shown up for it, which oh, has yeah. not returned to New York yet and is part of the reason why Phantom is no more in New York City. Uh, because it was relying primarily upon global tourism because within a year, everyone in New York yeah. City and the tri-state has seen your show. Within the first three years, everyone on the East Coast and from Chicago over has seen it. By five years, the entire U.S. and Canada has seen it. And after five years, you're relying on China, you're relying on England, Europe, uh, India, you're relying on all of these things and you can't, you can't sustain I would not be shocked if we lost a couple more of major juggernauts. My guess is maybe like a Chicago or a Cabaret. Lion King's not going anywhere because they're, yeah. they're, they're going for that longest running crowd and they've got Disney behind them. But I could uh, see they, they've got they I own that try. building. They own that building and also they're fighting yeah. for the fact that they don't want a casino put into that building right now, which is a huge thing that's coming up right now. So anyway. Off topic. <laughs> oh, Jonah. Oh, Jonah. I'm so sorry Everyone that you lived. Knows. You lived. You lived. Your life has been completely. Phantom lived twice as long as you did on Broadway, and 
uh, it's a shame you won't get to see it, but you'll see it somewhere else and definitely get those orchestra seats because having a, a sh chandelier come crashing down on your head, they hear they do it a lot faster in Australia. So head on down to Sydney. I am not a phantom guy. Uh, oh. I just oh. got It's just a standard. And now that it's gone, it's a lot less of a standard. Is, it's is, a is standard. And also it's about when you see it. Because, like, I got it when I was, like, 15, 16. And as anyone who knows my psyche and knows how I roll with my preferred fictional characters, Eric sobbing in the bottom of an opera house. That oh is my her God. type. 100%. Oh, my God. Took me, like, 10 years to undo that toxicity. And also, like, I saw it 40 bucks standing room. So, like, you know, absolutely worth my dollar, no matter who is in it when it's mm -hmm. that much. Oh, yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all about, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how you see it. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to direct the show a little bit. and Because uh, it's going to be a chaos gremlin all the way down. All the way down. Now, we did not listen to the full score of every show. Uh, I've heard the full score of a number of these. Um, some of these I can kind of like sing back to front, like, the amount of Camelot I have memorized shocks me. Really? I've done Camelot. We did I, Camelot. It was one of my last shows that I worked on. It's one of those shows where the score is haunting in a really plain way. Does that describe it right? Yes. Yes. It is. Uh, it is repetitive. And every yeah. time someone does it, they try to chop it down more. And so while what Aaron Sorkin did to Camelot is not quite as interesting or convoluted is what he did to, to kill mockingbird it is definitely something that is going to haunt that show so i want to start with we we looked at every show and one of the things that we tried to come up with was an understanding of what the average like theater person like theater goer might think not necessarily what the the nikos who want to write theater or the tories that work in professional theater think but moreover, what would, you know, TK coming to New York with his incredible partner, Jake, uh, think? What would show contributor and co-creator Kyle if he and his husband, Stephen, uh, bounced back over to the East Coast for a minute? What would they go see and how would they feel about it? And uh, to kind of go through this list for a minute, uh, I also want to point out that there is a list of perceived possible Tony nominations out there from Time Out New York, mm -hmm. which is, uh, according to a very reliable uh, Tesori uh, <laughs> source, T, T source, <laughs> that lady, according to her, everyone look at her, <laughs> with completely provable uh, content. She, you know, was able to send me links. This is uh, a dubious guesswork. It's dubious guesswork. It's a very hopeful guesswork on Time Out's part. Time Out is definitely giving a lot more credence to more plays of color than the Tony, no the Tony nominators and the Tony voters ever will. Um, I think I think they they hit a they do a lot better on the musicals because actually this year's musicals are much shorter uh, a shorter list than what they are and the ones that are bad are very bad and the ones that are good are very good and there's not a whole lot of middle um but i think that they're it, they, they made some choices that i don't think will be reflected when leah michelle gets up there mm -hmm. so i want to start with and juliet which 
<clears throat> okay. So this uh, is original musicals. Yeah, these are the yeah. original music. Well, yes. original musicals we say. Well, so, it's the yeah, it's the it's no, the category. Well, yeah, it's the category for original musicals. <laughs> no, none, of, I, none of them have been seen on Broadway before. Right. I was being playful and making a joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. To start with, I'm with you. And Juliet, I find that we are at an age where we're doing jukebox musicals with seven songs by a single artist. Uh, this is basically a Max Martin jukebox musical. <laughs> and it features like six to seven Britney Spears songs, four to five Backstreet Boys songs, some NSYNC, some Robin, some Kesha, one original song. Uh, you know, I know there's also a lot of controversy in a good way surrounding this show with the oh it's not good way i mean not a good way for like the tonys as like a, a, an entity oh like, no i mean in a, in a good way for you know gender rights and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah thousand percent you know i'm no offense tonys i'm more that's the thing that's i think that's even what it is tori you come at it from such a brilliant business perspective but i'm like i will die for this art oh i will die for this art too but i also know how the game is oh, played right no <laughs> you also know the business perspective i don't have that mm. so i'm just coming at it from the you're I too passionate for this <laughs> you have both so. yeah um okay so I am famously not that into jukebox musicals. Uh, they don't really do it for me. Uh, that said, I love that this might get people to the, the theater that would never go otherwise. I think this is a really great way to get tourists feeling like there's something for them here. I'm a fan of this. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, Justin David Sullivan's opting out of the Tony nominations, telling them to expand their reach, like, is is definitely a thing that we need to be talking about it and we'll come back to it more once we get to some like it hot but um for me i'm not as bothered by jukebox musicals particularly when they are trying to reflect an era and mm -hmm. um and i think when you're taking something as old as romeo and juliet this is actually the smartest use of a jukebox musical for sure um and I think I enjoy the use of more popular contemporary music in this more than I enjoyed it in Moulin Rouge last year. Moulin Rouge is also like kind of a messy show in mm -hmm. an interesting way, whereas this is meant to be very designed. You, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. This is this is this is uh, curated, very curated. But I also don't think that. Uh, I think that it's going to get knocked down quite a bit with the Tony, Tony voters for these for these very things. The fact that it doesn't have original music, that it is just like screeching these things, and our Tony voters skew a little older, so they're like, ah, these yeah. are not about it. So, oh, 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 oh. It's yeah. also interesting that most of the songs are not young people's pop songs like these right. are the pop songs of our generation mm -hmm. the newest song on here is uh maybe uh can't feel my face um yeah somewhere which is there. still old which is still like i mean the weekend's like three albums after that at this point yeah. most yeah. of them are from songs from when we were in middle school mm -hmm. uh that's a you know when you talk about getting people to the theater that's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we are definitely the the millennial generation is becoming the ones that they really want to get our get our money on these. Right. And Which, uh-huh, good luck. Good luck. We, we, we want to get any. our money too. It can get um, our attention. Yeah, it'll get our attention. And also, a lot of people are calling this the soft idea of um <laughs> thanks jonah for reminding yeah. us how old we are because yeah. i was in college um oh i was fully but... <laughs> out of grad school <laughs> like uh but no that this has been considered like a soft way of checking and seeing if maybe the britney spears musical once upon a hit made more times or whatever it's called yeah. it's coming next season will yeah. be uh a hit or not which, like, that I'm a little more excited about than, like, a smorgasbord that does... Like, I would have even taken entirely our middle school, like, a playlist that's entirely our middle school. But the fact that there's, like, five random songs on here that are not... That are, like, completely disconnected from that era. Not even, like, three years it later. It is odd. Um, yeah. Makes yeah. it, like, there was no curatorial musical thesis mm-hmm. where like even to do you know the music of britney spears or like you know even just boy bands like if there's mm-hmm. some solid theme i can at least kind of be like oh yeah it's that the musical but is that on jovi right right and Who especially with the way that a lot of the songs are sort of stacked where it's like it's back to back backstreet boys and back to back britney almost like a medley Right. So yeah, it's it's all structured very oddly. Yeah, you've got you've got two Britney Spears tracks, then in between them is a Demi Lovato and a Katy Perry song that are more than ten years later. Yep. And then another Britney Spears song, and then another Katy Perry song that is old for a Katy Perry song, where the one that just came before it is like mid career ish. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a. a I mean, it feels like the theme was what would be popular with a crowd that has disposable income? Question mark. It's what are the gays getting excited to scream along to? What are the yeah, ladies because... at a bachelorette party interested in? Like... Yeah. This is also a lot of like teens and tweens that grew up on Glee that now are older and have more disposable income and are looking for musical theater. That's a little bit more like Glee, which was pop mm-hmm. culture songs yep. set inside like a plot mm-hmm. and i feel like it's that combined with it, it it reminds me of that glut in the 90s of when all of these type stories were being turned into 10 things i hate about you and mm, whatever it yes. takes uh, and even clueless as she's Emma. the man clueless. Yep. she's the man and so it feels so like turning stories into pop music musicals and mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge was La Boheme and that one goes way way back Lion but now King. we're seeing but this is like you know using sourced music and now Britney Spears is you know I wasn't sure what even the plot of that was but now I looked into it yeah it's 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 not an original story it's fairy tale characters that you're familiar with set to Britney Spears music which mm-hmm. is different from the one that's on the right here almost famous being a much more targeted and uh, specific story that is a jukebox musical, you know, Romeo and Juliet, even for all the stuff they do to it in this play, it's Romeo and Juliet. One of the things as I was like doing my reading for the episode, you know, obviously there's Tristan and he's old and all whatever. And Romeo and Juliet is based on tropes. But what I didn't know is that it's far more directly based on a Italian poem 
from 30 years earlier, like 30, yeah. 35 years older, uh, earlier, the tragical history yeah. of Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. Yep. So it's literally a cover of a song from 30 years ago. Yep. But yep. it's the one that we know better. He traced the almond and, you know. Well, and to that end, you know, having brought up uh, Lion King and you were like, well, you know, but these are, you know, sort of existing songs i think that was one of the things disney was trying to do with a pivot from musical theater people to using elton john and uh you know that's where we get almost famous which is uh some original songs some songs from almost famous the movie mm -hmm. and then fucking tiny dancer okay i, was upset. I just want to say real quick speaking of the tonys and tiny dancer Tony Danza was a real dick on the on the red carpet this week and uh, was like, really rude about it. And I just want to be like Judith Light, obviously the boss. I mean, yeah. he he uh, he was fine in what happens in Vegas or weekend weekend terrible. in Las Vegas. He was awful in the producers. Yeah. I want to um, watch that, also, that that show with him and Josh Groban, though. Mona was the boss. Like, come on. Yeah, like that's. Mona it's, was the boss. Because who was... What's her name's boss? Mona. Yeah. So Mona's in the end, Angela's boss. It's so still she, Mona. She's at the top yeah. of the fucking food chain. That's exactly how Harry Potter defeated Voldemort. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's how he became almost famous. Here's a, here's a musical about a movie that I've never seen. It's, it's <laughs> basically a movie that's like, how cool I am. I just can't wait to be the coolest guy in the entire history of the world. I'm so cool. Everybody should suck my dick. I'm so cool. And, also, uh, like, uh, what was going on to women in the 70s in groupie culture was fine. They were having a blast. Don't worry about that, like, 13-year-old girl that Jimmy Page raped and then held in his hotel room for years. Oh. Everybody was just having fun. Also... <laughs> Roman Polanski. So, <laughs> so like that's that's the big one where I'm like I'm 100% certain that 10 years ago we were starting specifically the Jimmy Page conversation and like uh baby baby cuz those girls were young in the 70s so they're not like dead, you know what I mean? Like they're they're still coherent and able yep. to tell their stories and the stories are horrifying yep. uh so like where in the 90s we just didn't have the internet you kind of couldn't put this stuff around in the same way yeah, by the time this R is Kelly, like it's fine. like this is okay because this guy made we bought a zoo so it's fine i just that oh, somebody oh, that wasn't matter like, groupy stuff is not good we should we should shelve this uh is insane to me it's insane to me like i don't care about Cameron Crowe's journalism career as a teen. It just, it's horrible. I don't know. Anyway, it's just, it was so odd to People me. People need to stop fueling his obsession with telling his own life story. Yeah, no, we're okay. I'll take anybody yeah. else's life story, please. <laughs> Where's my Matt Rachel Damon. Maddow musical? There's a journalist whose story I need. Casting Matt Damon as his physical body avatar. To buy a zoo. I just, so, I just, anyway. This kind of on that list of shows with, for me, like uh, High Fidelity, where it's yeah. like, oh, wait, right. Um, so this is just generally, I don't think every movie about music necessarily makes the best movie musical musical yeah. movie. 
And this stands a great chance of touring, I think. It's got some recognizable numbers. It's got a recognizable name. There's enough self-important white men who love cocaine in all the wrong ways, because there's right ways to love cocaine. Yeah. Um, I support Mr. Supergirl, who is the lead, Chris Wood. I support mm-hmm. anyone who supports her. So, you know, yeah. there's that. And and there is there is definitely an aging, like, little too young for Woodstock yeah, uh, group of people who are ready to get rip warring wasted and go see a musical with some of their faves. So, uh, as someone who did a night with Janis Joplin, it's gonna do just fine out there. And that's actually something that I hold up. You know, Tori, I love living vicariously through your excellence mm-hmm. because, um, that I, you know, I'm like, let me tell you about the time that my friend toured Janis Joplin. <laughs> 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 two cities hey Both hey how small. many how many cities was i jackie jump jump in absolutely none you know and i just think that it's really a shame that a lot of that the that the musical that i did after janice joplin just really didn't get up and going i think all all for joe was really something special oh my god to talk I about the greatest want... night of the theater of my life <laughs> copy of all for joe so bad I mean, well, we, you, that'll be a Patreon exclusive someday. Speaking of shows uh, oh. that, are, that are truly something else. You mean ALW <laughs> calls it a coffee mistake and he's the one who wrote it? <laughs> and, from, and, 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 and still on the subject of masturbatory and still on the subject of so many things. From almost famous to certainly infamous. Ooh. I want to point out that Bad Cinderella... So the thing about Bad Cinderella that's shocking in the first place is this design on Cinderella's dress is stunning. She makes the dress with a spray paint can. Um, The original version where she's actually in the Cinderella and she's making the R, the shoes play a role. Um, Yeah, because this wasn't called Bad Cinderella on, on the West End. No, when they brought it to the U.S., they thought they had to, like, toughen it up, which is, like, the most Sopranos misunderstanding of anything I've ever heard. And also just leaves you open for the New York Times to rip you a new one. The title warned us. People think that they're, like, getting ahead of it by doing something like this. You never are. No (laughs) one ever did. As somebody whose absolute third favorite show in the history of musical theater is an Andrew Lloyd Webber, which is a horrible thing to admit in public. Curtains? No, that's uh, Candor and Ebb, and that's I'm thinking New York, New York. (laughs) Oh, uh, Tori, are you trying to figure out which one it is? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Is it Joseph? No, it's it's gayer. It's the gayest thing you can love and still be. Is it Starlight is it? Express? It's Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Starlight Express is gayer than Sunset Boulevard, but sure. Yeah. Really true. <laughs> so, um, you know, I really love the music that I heard from this. Honest to goodness, like the music, not the lyrics. The lyrics were horrendous. Uh, the vocal performances were tremendous, but the uh, the vocal melodies were terrible. Uh, like, I, honestly, not good, but like the the score, the score is really classic ALW in a way that I found kind of refreshing because I don't think he's really been himself in a while. Also, I've listened to the entirety of Love Never Dies, like all the versions of it, every really? version of it. 
I've love, been on, love on a die. I've been following it since before I knew Kevo. Oh and um, it's just bad, man. I love that it's something I came to you with, though. Because, you know, yeah. You think that the only sequels in all of musical theater are Nonsense 2 and Nonsense 3? What's up, Rue McClanahan? But no. Oh, my God. I, I mean, know basically uh, nothing about this show um, except like the, the very basic details. But I would say five times a day, I am served a TikTok that is somebody saying this play is not good. <laughs> Just like significantly, notably not good. They are hemorrhaging money because they keep putting it into marketing to try to figure it out, which is not good. Because it's already very expensive out there to run these shows. And like, they're, they're going to copy the original Rodgers and Hammerstein marketing. They're going to switch everything to blue. And they're going to go with a cleaner look for Cinderella. They want like a typeface font. Because they want to try and give the show legitimacy on the outside. And have you bust into the crazy inside. They're going to get... They, it is going to be a joke come nominations time. So many tears. So <laughs> many tears. Uh, speaking of tears, let's get over to. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you, Jonah. Um, the yeah. other, I swear to God, all well, the bad ones. Are up top. <laughs> all the bad ones are up top. Let's see a beautiful noise. The Neil I, Diamond. Musical. No, no. When care. Somebody said to me that the height of masturbatory jukebox musicalry was the Jimmy Buffett musical. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) The Neil Diamond musical said, hold my beer. I worked uh, on the off-Broadway Grateful Dead uh, jukebox musical, and at least that one tried. I forgot. This feels like it was put on the list to make us... This feels like it was put on the list to make us less angry and almost famous. I mean, I, I think... I think this is one of those where they want all his music on there, but unlike Bruce Springsteen, he can't do eight shows a week. So let's just, let's just throw something together. And I think that part of it being like, it's like a therapist talking to him through his lyrics. Cause he's known for his therapy. And, you know, What's his therapist name? Is it Caroline? Who's Caroline in this? Who is it? Who is yeah. it? It's I him going through like his whole life. Like, <laughs> no, but someone's going to be Caroline. Uh, also they did uh come into america and i got confused because i thought it was living in america for a minute and i I like that better living in america um i i'm not a neil diamond guy i i understand that my ring lights have me washed out as hell but i am not this kind of white and um nothing wrong with it it's just not who i am no, um, and I like this could have been something where you got like all the moms out and then like you followed oh, up in two oh, years oh, with like the Barry Manilow musical and every it's all the moms are just like, I found my new mama Mia. I can't wait. Uh, I, I love that they're all voguing over here. They're like, oh, my God, have you been? Have you been Josie? Josie, we're gonna go to the, we're gonna go to Carmine's, and then we're gonna see the show, and then you're gonna tell your husband all about it, and you'll bring him and the fellas next. And time. listen, listen, did you hear? They got Joey McIntyre from the New Kids. Joey McIntyre. He's playing the Neil Diamond. I hope he takes his shirt off. Uh, that for that you got to go to the New Kids tour. But man, are they <laughs> still doing it? They are. I'm so. They're all very fit. 
on Listen, oh. I went to the Backstreet Boys tour last summer and I was shocked at A, how fit they are, B, how great they still sound, and C, they're out there for three hours. They did like 21 songs. It was wild. Uh, remind me to send you the behind the scenes clip of Nick and Brian screaming at each other in a meeting room as they try and plan the tour. Um, actually, let me ask you a question, Tori. What are your thoughts on Broadway residencies for somebody like a Backstreet Boys to tell their own story? As a card-carrying member of the Actors' Equity Union, I'm very against the idea of only having one person on stage. However, those things tend to only take about six to eight weeks. And frankly, the fact that we're bringing any kind of tourism into Broadway is actually a great thing for the city and for the area. Um, But what I would prefer is actually if they had people kind of on stage with them. Like if you're going to do a Neil Diamond jukebox musical, fine. If you want to put Neil Diamond in it and be surrounded by 20 people, I'm, I'm down. Sign me up. Let's go. Let's do the thing. The fact that a place will get taken over. What one of these 43 theaters gets taken over for a certain amount of time for these things is hard. I think the Bruce Springsteen is moving towards making his own musical with this as a way to like, like that was like a massive marketing campaign and it's just like, give it another year or so and it'll happen. But I think that uh, moving into a world where we have people sit down for longer than a month is an injustice to the people who are working, especially because they usually want to bring their own band. So then the orchestras that are resident orchestras inside of many of those houses that get paid, even if there's a play in there, don't get pay, don't get work and then and that's an extra expense and then they're just out there trying to find a sub job over in well not phantom anymore but lion king or something well you know i love that you you know i love that you have that perspective because you know i've i've said i don't think anything should ever run longer than two years ever again and just i don't think it's worth it i don't think it's worth it i would actually love to see more theaters on broadway take a tab out of west end and say they want to do seasons Nick, uh, Kevo, you've got thoughts. I can see them. I do. Um, I also wanted to share my thoughts in general on the Neil Diamond musical and what I probably would have preferred to see, which was an adaptation of what already exists and is the superior Neil Diamond musical, which is the Steve Zahn, Jason Biggs, and um, Jack Black film, Saving Silverman. I didn't realize this was part of that. No, it's not. I want this. I want. Okay. I want them to make this. A, I want them to make this a Neil Diamond. Oh, no, I, I didn't know that instead. these people were in Saving Silverman. That's a. That's oh, yeah, a and what's yeah. her name? Amanda Peet. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people in this. Uh, I feel like this would have made more sense than what they came up with. Ultimately, I would have loved something like The Wedding Singer, where it's Neil Diamond impersonators, just like trying to make it through life and fall in love and fall out and all of these things. Like it should be. It, it, it could have been something really great, like like a Mamma Mia, not quite a Jersey Boys, but something where like you you have the feeling of getting older and getting past your prime. And what does it mean to try to find that again? Mama and the boys. Yes. Oh, thank God. Someone bring me something better. OK, here we go. Kimberly Akimbo. I hey. so hard. What a cool feel good musical with uh, you yeah. know, oddball cast, oddball music. Uh, Janine Tesori at her strongest. 
reminds me so much of like the heart and weirdness that goes into a show like a next to normal mm-hmm. or a a putnam a spelling bee you yep. know that sense yeah. that i'm the individual and you get to experience me is such an important thing for a show to have. Janine Tesori is definitely part of those early aughts, late 90s composers that bring that weird adulthood or weird childhood into, into a musical. I think Kimberly Akimbo is fantastic. Am I a little biased because it started off at the Atlantic and I love the Atlantic and worked there for quite a bit? Yes, but it's worth it. Across the board, I know people who don't see shows twice in the same season and they have gone four times. Yeah, I'm rooting for it so hard. Mm-hmm. It's this and shucked for me all the way. Yeah, um, I will is say the one they're gonna love. I in prep. I I did not know anything about this show in preparation for the show. I looked up just like some basic, you know, at like the website, that type of advertising. I looked up the synopsis on Wikipedia without doing the full like rundown of each act of it. And I listened to the two top songs Mm -hmm. completely did not understand what I was looking at, why I would enjoy it. If it was supposed to be funny, if it was supposed to be, um, you know, deeply sad, what, why would I go? Had no idea. And in like, I was taking notes for the show and I said something to Nico and, you know, he, he gave me a response back, which was like a, a very good description, which just kind of gave me the idea that it was uh, not supposed to be like tragedy. Um, and from there, I wound up listening to a song like deep in what I could find on YouTube that was absolutely beautiful. And it took a lot of poking around. I now think it sounds really cool that some of the music is just absolutely beautiful and I can see what's great about it, but it took me a ton of research to get there. Uh, And it was really one of those moments where I was like, I don't know how you uh, it's, it's, you have to, it's really tough to, this is this is definitely one of those shows where the average person isn't going to come see it until after they see it win a bunch of Tonys. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. This is for think, the in crowd. Yeah. And I think one of the ways in which it's a lot like a spelling bee, like Nico said, is that it's very, I think the word is quirky. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of those things where, like, look at it, like, the rainbow and the necklace and, like, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. And it's 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 a little ephemeral in that in that regard where it's hard mm-hmm. to um, ascribe a specific vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And it has something that a lot of shows don't have, which is a folksy accessibility. If you're from not around the East Coast, you probably have a little bit more country and folk in your heart. Which I I probably don't, but which is why me being so about Kimberly Akimbo and shocked is <laughs> shocking. But uh, shocking. I, I don't know. Shocking. And if you're if you're into that kind of folksy kind of country vibe, I would definitely check out Janine Tesori's earlier work, Violet, which oh. was mostly off Broadway. Uh, it had a Sutton Foster recent recently ten years ago, but. Um, highly recommend really great storytelling through song on that on that soundtrack all right well let's take a look at a a show that uh is designed to make me get up and dance i 
I am just so angry that this show didn't get a chance because you know what? I am anti, you know, concert musical, but I think Dreamgirls is a format and this is K-pop Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm, and okay. we should be celebrating every group's opportunity to tell the formulaic story. Yep. Because we see that story is formulaic, but it's the transformative details that make it interesting. The reviews for this show were great. The response to this show was great. It's just not the right people reviewing it and not the right people. Right. Yeah. Like, because the New York Times casual racism wasn't great. And we are moving past a world where the New York Times makes or breaks you. But when it's with a more niche show that they're taking a lot of chances on and all those kinds of things, a New York Times review that kind of like goes, I don't get it, uh, is, is is a death knell. And in a post-COVID world, they pull, they're going to pull the plug real fast if you're 17 not, days. If, and, and stayed for another one because a That's bunch of people so tried real hard. It's rough. And I heard people screaming from the tops of their lungs, get to the show as fast as you can. It is worth every inch of it. And so, I mean, God bless them. I would love if this got some nominations, but I don't know if it will. The videos are incredible. The uh, videos are so good. Um, Just really unbelievably well filmed. You know, if you like musicals and you've seen a musical enough times and then you see the concert of the musical or like the video, the film video of it, and you see what they're not showing you, what they're trying Mm -hmm. to focus on, what you know isn't normally there. this had all of the hallmarks of the best of those. Um, and it gave it to me without having to have seen the show. And so right. I thought it was really great. Right. And it was in the right theater for it too. So many shows actually bomb because they're in the wrong theater. Circle in the Square is perfect for this one. It's one of the, I think, only ra- theaters in the round that we have inside of Broadway. And this should have done quite well. But it just wasn't given the chance, which is a shame. And this really, to me, you know, we were talking about how um, and Juliet is like skews fun, but then ultimately doesn't really skew young. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is more something that young people would be interested mm-hmm. in. I mean, even though it's original music, it's music. It's a genre that yeah. is much more skewed to young people. Although, like, it's surprisingly universal. I was having this conversation with my mother the other day about how she has this like group of women that she knows in her town that all are like hurry. My mother's like 70 mm-hmm. uh, and they're all really into K-pop. Um, so like, you know, K-pop is a, is a worldwide phenomenon sensation that's doing huge numbers and they're not all just young people, but it is a, a guaranteed young people attractor mm-hmm. where I don't yeah. think uh, Backstreet Boy songs are a young people attractor they're a millennial attractor and it's really unfortunate that there wasn't more investment in you know laying that groundwork to pull gen zers into the theater now with a show that really is is for them and relates to them um and then sort of saying like hey while you're here there's other stuff that might not be quite so for you but like you know you you may end up enjoying this version of 1776. So why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to just say that my real, and I, Tori has had 
hundreds of hours of voice notes from me talking about this. My relationship with Candor and Ebb is they're the finest of their generation. Mm-hmm. They're the most important songwriting duo since Rodgers and Hammerstein, since the Gershwins. Lerner and Lowe are blushing. I am, <sighs> I am so about Candor and Ebb. Uh, I think Curtains is one of the greatest posthumous musicals ever released. Uh, you really want to have your mind blown? Look up It's a Business. That thing mm-hmm. tears the house to pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those few pieces that's designed for an older, bigger woman to sink in. Uh, it, top to bottom. Candor and Ed can do no wrong in my mind. The bits of this show I've listened to, I've been very impressed with. Which is why I am shocked that the reviews for New York, New York are across the boards zeros. Yep. And F's. When I heard the lead actor in this perform, I took a step back and said, this man could play Jeff Buckley tomorrow. It's yeah. so fascinating because they're like, not a good note in the whole thing. And I'm like, who are you? What are you talking about? So I don't know. I don't know what people are doing, what's going on. But like something now, is up. I do want to say this. I thought the bits that we listened to sounded great. Uh, this guy seems really talented, but I also was, <clears throat> because of what you were saying about it, was trying to scrutinize it very closely. And there definitely were moments in performances and like the live tape performances that were like line fumbles and note misses. And the talent is certainly there, but I think one of the things it makes me think of is the way that I loved the OBCR of Legally Blonde like 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And when I met Nico, he was like, that is the biggest piece of trash my parents have ever seen on Broadway. My parents walked out. They thought it was terrible. And the conclusion we came to is that, yeah, no, the OBCR sounds great. But even if you watch the live MTV performances, you know, there's, there's... There's moments and, you know, uh, just because the core elements are there and the potential are there, if it's not there every night and it's not hitting every performance, then, yeah, it it doesn't matter how good the basics are because it's about what you're giving live. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now that we're releasing soundtracks while the show is like just barely open, people are expecting that recording studio perfection when they show up especially the younger audience who don't realize that like the the recording is different from it being live oh yeah so i'll be very interested i am what i am in la caja fall that takes out act one uh she doesn't hit that every single night she doesn't go that high as the obcr because that would that would kill a man at that age so you know i'm sure there are people who now would be like oh I know so many Tonys who don't hit that note in Maria every night. They don't. They can't. It's hard. Like, it's a lot. I think this is gonna they're gonna give this to Candor for like a last hurrah. Um, but I think this one is gonna clog a lot of ballots, but not turn up a lot of gold. Because it can't win original score. No. Which I mean, if I have any comment. This is maybe something that we're just not talking about. Lin-Manuel Miranda is an old school Broadway faggot. And I mean that in the truest sense as a Broadway faggot. 
This guy is out there. I saw his work in West Side Story. I saw it live. Thank you. Thank you. He is not always a home runnist, but what he is is a man who will fumble for his art every Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. He is a hero to me, not because of his perfection or his wins, because he has never let a failure stop him from trying again. And there is no doubt in my mind that if tomorrow another Candor or Ebb-esque duo lost a member and said, Lynn, there's only you who could finish this. He's going to say, I'm going to give you everything I got, just like I did for New York, New York, and I will never let you down with attempt. And like, that's that's my hero, you and know? And I will also say that even amidst his failures, there is still some stunning gold. The work that he did on A Boy Like That for that West Side Story revival, where the entire show, Anita has been singing in English and Maria has been singing in Spanish, And they swap at that moment because Anita has fallen out of love with the idea of America now that Bernardo is dead. Oh, my God. Wrecked. Wrecked. And Bring It On the Musical is really, really not. It's not a disaster. I don't care what anyone says. It's not a disaster. We all do things. Anyway. Anyway, this is this is not the the gold that I think they thought it would be, but it is a solid showing for a show that was all that everyone thought was on Broadway but never was. Um, versus Shucked, which is the darling, the niche, the dark horse. The, it's that yellow. It's that. Oh my God! That's the gold you ought to find in America. Can I even point out? It's more than just that yellow. This doesn't look like a musical poster. This mm-hmm. looks like a Showtime series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's, it's that about font. corn and whiskey in that regard, mm-hmm. and that it is about a town losing its way. There is so much about this show. I, I, I just, it's I can't. It's in the Nederlander. I it's just saw that. Oh. Is. Which is the right size for a comedy. Mm-hmm. A, a musical comedy can't support, uh, you know, a Gershwin. Right, right. So, for those who don't know, there are sizes, differences between them, all the way from the Winter Garden to, I think the Lyric is the smallest. <laughs> the Lyric is a basement. She's a bitty baby. It's because she's old. She's old and she hasn't been redone. She's historic. So it's a Stelgetti. Um, yeah. Um, but the Nederlander is right. This is why we talk about when shows are just in the wrong theater. I actually don't think that Beetlejuice probably should have been in the Winter Garden. I think that was a problem for it. And it's done a lot better in a smaller house. Mm. Um, I think King Kong so. could have actually hung in at a smaller house because it could have also allowed for the figure to be smaller and it would have made it a lot more manageable. I think King I Kong, King Kong, it had a terrible, terrible time oh. being an average show in an exquisite theater mm-hmm. with an under with an underfunded budget. It just yeah. it was not the worst songs I've ever heard in my life, and it deserved mm-hmm. a lot better than it got. The puppetry yeah. alone, yeah, seriously. But um, this show is, I think, for the Tony voters, might be a little too ironic, a little too weird, a little too confusing, a little too, too, I liked it, but I don't think it's art for them. Wait, Um, is this Avenue Q revenge? This is is Avenue Q. Avenue Q revenge, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Sorry, the, uh, Nico, can you give us a tight 20 seconds on Avenue Q Revenge? Uh, so if I'm not mistaken, it goes like this. It uh, The winner gets offered a tour uh, from the Tony people and uh, they gave it to Avenue Q over Wicked because Wicked had already signed a deal to do something somewhere else and wouldn't play ball. So Avenue Q won the Tony. I think you threw a metaphor in there. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, just just so we're clear, that like... was a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no one was actually trying to play ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, here's what I'll it's say. It's musical theater. They know. Wicked should not have won uh, for me. I'm not the biggest Wicked fan. I think Wicked would be a little bit better one act. Um, I think it's, I actually would probably stage it a little bit more concert-like and kind of give it like a, a Chicago-esque Emerald City look. I, I think... Yeah. I just I, think Wicked's not for me. I think Wicked could have used one more out of town tryout where they cut more of the like weird references to the book the that book. everyone read. Thank you. Oh my god! So and just really like clean in on the on the storyline, but just that so dragon goes, stuff. So it goes: the dragon stuff, the two dick stuff. It's a whole lot of nonsense. But um, so shucked, shucked, shucked. I I want to say that is, that's Alex Newell who does. Um, yes, love mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Independently owned is for my money the if they don't do that number at the at the tonys it's because they're bitter about some things that were said so yeah and also like that brings up more of what we're going to get into with some like it hot but we have a surprise a surprising for the season number of non-binary actors on the stage yeah. and the fact that the tonys didn't look at it and go oh what a perfect season to finally de-gender our awards uh, stuck to their guns. And so we have people saying, no, I'm not gonna. Or we have people like Jay Harrison Gee and some like it hot because they use he, they is just going, well, it's an actor role. So we got a lot of, a lot of splaining to do on this one. I just want to say that not only am I excited to see some like it hot because Amber Ruffin wrote it and Amber, Amber Ruffin, the first woman of color to run a late night room in history, mm -hmm. deserves all of our credit and all mm -hmm. of our, uh, our applause for just mm -hmm. being such a trailblazer and brilliant, mm -hmm. hysterically funny. Mm -hmm. uh, the book for this is a lot of fun. It's very playful. Mm -hmm. uh, the music is spectacular. Mariah mm -hmm. Carey bought into it. I love mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about this particular show is the general idea for me that we're looking at a show that is trying to update a problematic behavior. There were a lot of really bad things in the original that were not corrected in, let's say, Tootsie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some Like It Hot reflects an adult maturing of the Tony, uh, the, the Broadway community acknowledging problematic behaviors when adapting a work. I would actually say that it does do a better job than Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire did in that um, it oh, doesn't, yeah, same. it doesn't portray the, as much like violent reactions for when the, when the disguise is shed. But uh -oh. it continues the idea of we laugh at men in drag 
and that's all that it is. It's a it's a it's a joke. And I think that uh, this is the third season that we've had to deal with this in five years of seasons, which is really seven because of COVID. And it's not a cute look that we keep doing it and are only like inching the line every time. And that we're not including more people involved in the process. Now, I know that Glad came in and looked at and Mrs. Doubtfire, but at the end of the day, it was not right. And the fact that we don't have people in the um, in the in the in the in the production and design room from the beginning doing these things is very difficult. And I also think that by casting a trans actor in this uh, role of Jerry slash Daphne, there I'll be interested to see if there's a note put in that this should continue, or if it's just yeah. this is who we happen to cast. Great comment. Yeah. Great comment, great comment. Oh, thanks. God, I didn't have to type it this time. Because you know people <laughs> have something to say about that. Yeah. And there's a lot of really great thing pieces. There's a lot of really great thing pieces about Tootsie, about Mrs. Doubt, about Mrs. Doubtfire, about Some Like It Hot that you can look into. Um, it's becoming less and less angry. It's becoming more and more downtrodden. And that lets me know that this is become that this might be a problem that we're not going to see disappear, particularly after last year's jagged little pill problem, um, which oh, was a nightmare. Was a was where a, they had a non-binary actor in the in the early runs out of town and then redid it into a a, a, cis, a cisgender role in, once it got to Broadway. Well, and part of that celebration of drag culture uh, will present itself here as later on we're going to play a bit of a fun game with the contestants from the most recent season of Drag Race and some of these shows. So we're going to celebrate uh, what we love about drag and musicals. So this is the original show's rundown. Uh, let's let's take a... a, a oh, I was going to say before we move over, anybody oh. want to say their personal choice if they have one at all you know i i'm going shucked all the way shucked is like my choice i'll be fine with whatever wins as long as it's not honestly as long as it's not bad cinderella or a beautiful noise but i don't see either of them getting nominated i also don't see almost famous getting nominated um i'd really like it to be shucked if not shucked kimberly akimbo but uh that's for me my guess my take t do you have any uh any horse in this uh race I really do not, um, you know, based on what little I know, I would love to see K-pop or Shucked uh, and, you know, maybe Kimberly Akimbo. Um, I just, you know, it's at this point, those first four and Juliet, almost famous, bad Cinderella and Neil Diamond. I, I, I just decline for moral <laughs> reasons. Tori, Tori, as uh, the the person here with the most absolute right to be here, what is your thought? What is your show in this race? And you can give me your show because, like, you know, my show, like I said, is is shucked. But like, I think it's going to either go to New York, New York, or something like it hot. Oh, really? Interesting. My, I think so. They give they usually give nominations to about six of these. I think we're going to get Anne Juliet. We're going to get Kimberly Akimbo. We're going to get New York, New York. We're going to get shucked. We're going to get some like it hot. We might get K-pop unclear. 
The sixth slot mm. may or may not happen. Who do I think will? Who do I think should win? I think it should be Shucked or Kimberly or Kimbo. But I think it should be Shucked. But I think Kimberly or Kimbo will win. And I think it's about the fact that New York, New York, and some like it hot are going to cancel each other out on the nostalgia factor, yeah. and people are going to be left with. Uh, Kimberly or Kimbo, and I just don't think Shucked is going to resonate with enough of the older Tony uh, voters. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great perspectives. Thank you for agreeing with me on so many of them. And Kevo, uh, <laughs> where are you at, sweetie? Uh, everything Tori said, I really echo everything uh, that she was saying. Um, I think Kimberly, Akimbo, and Shucked will probably be neck and neck on a lot of the awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll probably be uh, them plus some like it hot. Uh, we'll probably see the most. But uh, as for the top here, gosh, it's hard because I really see where she's coming from uh, from you know the business perspective. But they love to try and surprise you and say, "Ha ha, look, we are cool." When like at the end of the day, you're still just voting on a musical that's about corn. Like you're still not cool guys we're trying to drag you across the finish line that's well overdue in the first place so i don't know i think it's very yeah i think it's very possible that uh, a beautiful noise may pay a lot of money to get that sixth nomination and i think that may be it I got to be honest. I don't think the tonys have been concerned with being cool since they said look we gave it to spring awakening we're done blah Um, blah 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 I'm a big Duncan Sheik fan, but Spring Awakenings is a, a barely breath too far. It's so. it's perfect for your teenagers. It really, really is. I wrote a jukebox musical with a Duncan Sheik song in it. Well, Proud of you. Speaking of Thank revisiting you. songs, let's take a look at some revisits here. Revival. These, oh, it's going to get there. These are some revivals that opened this year. We've got 1776, Bob Fosse's Dancing. We've got Camelot, Into the Woods, Parade, and Sweeney Todd. I just want to start with, before anything else, I'm not too invested in uh, two of these. I'm fairly invested in two of these, and I'm obsessed with two of these. Oh, let's get into it. They're in order. Um... As a kid, 1776 was something we watched every 4th of July in my family. Yes, they do. I've never seen it. I love it. It's a great movie. Oh, your parents are obsessed. It's a a really good one. It's a fun score. He plays the violin. It's one of the funnest things. I've seen it with Brent Spiner on Broadway. Um, He's It's It's a fun show, but it's a show that absolutely needs to be pointed at as, this is what's wrong. And uh, that this iteration was bold, brave, creative, strong, daring, re reorchestrated, re reimagined beyond just a gender flip, but also sonically designed to reflect that recreation. Mm-hmm. Not just have the same people perform, but change the style of harmony, mm-hmm. change the form of chord progression. Mm-hmm. This absolutely tops my list for creative restaging and revival this takes everything that the oklahoma restaging did and slammed in a bunch of hamilton like uh vision and it reached for those stars 
it really did. And then I think it collapsed under its own press. Uh, maybe one particular article, maybe, maybe, you know what? I don't want to say that. There's a lot of drama involved in this one that is so thorny that to actually discuss it would be to open us up to way too much, to way too much. Um, but basically this is just, there's, there's a lot of the actors getting treated poorly on this one. And I never once questioned the actors being treated poorly. I am, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't care about the people with the money. I care about the art. Um, I am shocked by, you know, let's just say that I'm 85% shocked uh, by some stuff that was said because nothing could shock me 100%. Nothing Mm -hmm. pays me enough to shock me 100% Mm -hmm. is uh, definitely a phrase that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good one. It's a really good one. You love when the tea is so hot that all of a sudden you're like, oh, we we have a new uh, a new way of saying screw you to everybody. Um, McDonald's so, yeah. hot. Yeah. McDonald's hot. That's what I was going to say. McDonald's hot. Um, so, yeah. So I think 1776, is it, it could have been something that really was exciting. And I think it collapsed under its own press. It collapsed under the weight of expectation. And it just wasn't the juggernaut they thought it would be. Now, TK, Kevo, do either of you have any relationship with this play? And if not, you can just say, sit down, John. No, sorry. No relationship. Um, And this was one, uh, we didn't have great recordings of this to listen to as we were prepping. So I I continue to have very little relationship. Uh, Seems like they're making interesting casting decisions, but I don't know if they're making good ones. And I guess we'll find out in retrospect. It's a fun experiment, and I'm glad that they're doing it. But, um, yeah, I don't really have any experience with um, really most of these revivals. Uh, I don't have any experience with the Fosties dancing here either. Um, I remember the tail end of a commercial for Camelot from when we were young. Um, well, that's before, it. Before we get too ahead, then let's uh, let's take some uh, looking at Fosse. Fosse's dancing. Um, <laughs> is it exactly uh, what it says on the tin? Yeah, it is exactly what it says on the tin. Exactly Bob Fosse's dancing is one of those things where I feel like there's more than one of these out in the world, but maybe I'm crazy. But like Bob Foss. Okay, so yeah, there's more than one of these out. Because there. there's also Fosse. Yeah, there's also Fosse. And so basically, Fosse's choreography is so definitive and so changing to the sculpture of, of the American theater as possible that they're like, what if we just did a show where we took a bunch of the songs we did choreography to do and we redo it one after the other, after the other, after the other? That's a show. Yeah. Everybody who's the strongest at dancing just runs to this audition. If you're an okay singer and a not so great actor, but you got legs, if you're only half a BB Newworth, you run to this audition. Uh, you know, love looks to dance 10. Let's get it out there. Um, so yeah, so I'm always leery of these. It's going to catch yeah. like the choreography nomination, maybe some of the production ones, but there's not 
going to be a whole lot to Bob Fosse's dancing. And the fact that I was aware of it, but not terribly means that there was nothing particularly stunning about it. I'm leerier of these than I am of like jukebox musicals because in a jukebox musical, they probably want you to dance well anyway, but this is just like this. uh, It it feels weird to me, this being in the same category as musical revival. I, I feel like something that is so heavily dance focused should uh, be something different? I don't know. It's it just the, always felt weird to me. It's the American musical theater version of a ballet company, yeah, exactly. which is very exciting from yeah. like an art perspective, but is not exciting from a musical Broadway perspective. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, Bob Fosse, like how exciting. Let's go see Fosse show. And then they walk out and they're like, the heck was that? That doesn't even have anything. It was just a bunch of dancing. And so this is very much like if you're not in like the granular of this world, you're probably not going to want to see this. Yeah. TK, you going to see Bob Fosse's dancing? I would probably go see Bob Fosse's dancing just because, you know, I mean, it's, it's Bob Fosse. People are going to be hot in there. Um, They're going to be curious. I'm curious what the big deal is for sure. I mean, you know, I, I love Liza with a Z. Um, I just, I love Bob Fosse. Like for me, when I, I don't, uh, this is one that I know very little about. uh, And this was one that I actually, I mean, like I had plenty of time to research all of these. This wasn't like, I I got rushed. I was like, the title uh, alone is enough. I'm actually not going to look anything up because I just kind of want to see it more than anything else. But the vibe that I'm like, this is stomp for fags over the age of 30 basically yeah uh, over the like, age of 45 honey fossey's been gone shut for a up long time. <laughs> i just want to <laughs> believe that it can skew younger uh no but you are that 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 age is much more accurate um you witch yeah. <laughs> um i just i agree i do just want to watch it in the same way that, and I, like i do love those shows i mean i've seen blue man group i've seen stomp uh, I, I like a show like that. I don't necessarily, I understand that it, it's kind of a different thing than musical theater like we're talking about, but uh, I do yeah. enjoy a show like that. I would probably enjoy a show like this. That same argument might be why it's not sort of a great candidate to be in the running with these things, yeah. but um, mm. I I would be so, so, so down. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, For sure. From dancing to Camelot. Wait. Um, That's just your life, Nico. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. How much did they cut off of this one? Did they cut? Did they get it down to two and a half? Yes. Wow. It's like 238 or something. It's wow. like, it's it's weird short. Yeah. Camelot, I, Camelot is a show that like when it like became the Broadway sensation was three and a half. And that was because they cut it from the five hours when they did it in Canada. Like, it's a monster. And it's a show that so focuses on the individual experience of each performer, the soliloquizing, the the exploration of each character in their own songs. You have numbers here. And putting Philippa Sue in... Hi, oh, Pippa. She's just... I feel like this is one of those things where, like, if you asked me, should you have some shows against each other? Only if you want to make the Tony nominations exciting. Mm-hmm. Because now you've got to figure out who's getting the nomination. Annalie Ashford? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, who's getting the win? Annalie Ashford or Philippa Sue? 
mm-hmm. because they both have to be nominated for outstanding lead actress mm-hmm. in the musical revival. And I, you know, it's just kind of going to be no offense, Sarah Bareilles, you're not getting it for Into the Woods uh, compared to these two women who have stood in line for these awards. And because some of it is that kind of game. But Camelot is such an important show to me, I think, because it's just a show that can't exist anymore. No one is making shows like Camelot now. And it's one of the last really fine examples of the long form early musical that, you know, Tori, you have to talk me down from writing every opera at four hours. Yeah. Like this is, this is the latest in a long line of Lincoln Center theaters, like rehabilitation of old musicals. They've done Carousel. They've done Oklahoma. They've done, did they do Guys and Dolls recently? Like it's all the old. No, but Paper Mill is. Paper Mill is. Paper (laughs) Mill is. But Camelot is another one where we're just like going, like we're going deep and we're going to kind of revamp it a little for the new thing, or we're just going to like go for it. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin aside, um, this should have done a lot better than it did. And I don't know what Sorkin did to the book to pull out all the joy, but um, this should be a, it is a fun show. It's a long show, but it is a fun show. And it has some real standards in it that people are going to want to hear. Much like how last year West Side Story had people screaming about, I feel pretty missing. You know, like you got to have these things. It's Camelot. And I don't know. I, I'm intrigued that this, if this will do as well as it should have. Well, I can't wait to pick up with this discussion in just a few moments. I think we're going to take a quick break, but I want to... An intermission? A quick intermission. Oh, you saucy devil. And it's just past what's like act three of five. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have probably the three most discussable shows coming up next. Um, I have the least opinion on Into the Woods uh, by far because... I mean, obviously, my relationship with any show by uh, Robert is insane for Parade, but um, whatever. We'll get to that in a minute. Either way, I just want to thank everybody for being a part of this incredible experience, talking about musicals, getting behind, you know, one of my favorite forms of art. And uh, I'm just really excited to keep taking a look at these shows. Don't forget, if you guys like what you're hearing, seeing, and if you like uh, our madness, like and subscribe, because it's these four of us pretty much every single day uh, here on X's for Show, on YouTube, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and more. So like, subscribe, stick around, check out more musical stuff, uh, because it's about to get real weird. So weird. So, so weird. (laughs) But I love it. All right, and we're back. And uh, we're not just back. We're back to talk about what I think are probably the three biggest shows for us to discuss uh, from the entire list of shows, right? And one of the things I'm most excited about with this list is that it's two shows that mean a lot to me and one show that means, I guess, a lot to a lot of people, I guess. I like it, but let's, let's do this. We've already taken a look at all of the new shows this year. Uh, we've all kind of singled out our favorites being Shucked, Kimberly Akimbo, K-pop. There's some positivity for things like New York, New York, Some Like It Hot, and Anne Juliet. There was notably less for Almost Famous, Bad Cinderella, and the Neil Diamond musical, A Beautiful Noise. What's interesting is that probably represents the three most old school ways of thinking 
Um, and so it's fair to say goodbye, though I would say New York, New York um, kind of goes in that category. But I have candor and ebb blinders and won't hear a bad word said about candor and ebb. So Bet. from there, we took a look at the new show, uh, the new revivals. My apologies with uh, 1776 or as it says here, 17. 76, which I think is about two rival car racers, right? Wait, I have a joke about 1776 that I stole from a friend of mine. Go for it. This season, in we have two kinds of 76 between the musical 1776 and the play Summer of 1976. Last year, we just had one 76, trombones. Oh, and he wasn't enough to save Broadway. No, he was not. Poor thing. It's used to six claws, 76 trombones. Oh, yeah. There's so a lot. 76 Button trombones. Saucer again. Button yeah. Saucer. Love so, her. Then we got dancing, and uh, it didn't have any of us dancing. And we talked about Camelot. No, we were interested. I was going to say, I'm dancing out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's just that it doesn't belong with the others. We were dancing. We weren't singing, though. Not singing. Also, because I also looked up the track list for this, and this is not like Bob Fosse's like musical hits. This is Bob Fosse's choreography to old standards, mm. like Sing, Sing, Sing Uh-oh. is in here and things oh, like yeah. that. Like Mr. this is even weirder. Like yeah, so this isn't even like you're gonna go in there and be like, ah, time for Sweet Charities, the Frug. Nope. It's a Bob Fosse jukebox musical. How is that possible? Man was prolific. Yeah. All right. We're just living in it. Mm-hmm. We came to Camelot and we, we came so much. Kind of came and went a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that brings us to one of two Sondheims that I'm so surprised got staged the year after we lost Stephen Sondheim. I could not have seen that coming. Um, it's never ever happened in the history of Broadway <laughs> that right after uh, a major name passes away that they uh, decide to overstage him, even when he's the greatest writer of all time. The things they did for Bernstein's 100th birthday. Were insane! Wild. Wild what they put together for that. I can't wait to see what they do for when the wild party turns 100. It's going to be a wild party. Will there even be a New York by then? The lights will go out on Broadway. I mean the, I mean the, 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 the poems. Oh, I want to see. Poem. Maybe we'll get a third or fourth one. <laughs> I mean, we might get a revitalization of Cats for the hundredth birthday of that T. S. Eliot nonsense. It's got to be a multiple of nine. Mm. Okay. It's into, into the, the woods. woods. <laughs> we went in. We went, we went in. Into those woods. Did we go out? Who knows? You know, Any musical that wants to have a rapping witch is fine in my book, but also this is not my Into the Woods. It's very for I mean, it's got a it's got a huge crazy cast that makes everyone go wow wow wow, and I highly recommend it for the performances. I'm sure everyone's gonna. This is gonna be a very performance heavy uh, nominated show. Um, but I don't think that it's doing anything particularly new or exciting with it. No. And in fact, it's a little bit old. You know, Into the Woods is a really fascinating musical for me because it's something I didn't discover until I was, until Pando. 
you know, even with the movie that came out, um, mm -hmm. I remember the old Broadway commercial for Into the Woods because I think it was on my Fraggle Rock tape that had mm -hmm. episodes recorded off of TNT um, from their cartoon block. And so I remember that old, I remember that old uh, commercial, but I never found, saw, or got into it. And then during Pando, I discovered the oh, 1980s performance from Masterpiece Theater is just on YouTube for free. Yeah. Just go watch it. It's great. Um, and then I tried listening to other OBCRs and then I stopped trying to do that. I mean, I, I love the Lithgow. I believe it, I, and maybe some of them would be better as live performances, so I want to, like, scope out the Hollywood Bowl or the Central Park. Uh, but something about the tracks from this that we listened to really reminded me of the uh, restaging of the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella from, like, 10 years ago now, the one that Carly Rae was in. I just missed her by, like, a week. I'm so mad I didn't go and see her in that because Fran, Fran Drescher was the mother, and, like, my brain... At the time, wasn't that into car? I'm not getting into it. I'm disappointed in myself. But, um, but it would, but you would have had to have seen it with them because the staging itself was really basic. And as I was looking around and seeing how many children were in the audience, I was like, oh, that's probably why. That's why the prince is giving a ball is in halftime. So it's something that the kids. You know, it's not too fast. And that's sort of what it felt like this Into the Woods was. It felt like they were hamming it up a lot. It felt like um, it was a lot rote and not trying to give singular performances so much as performing in a singular play. Yeah. And sure, but I would rather have singular performances. This is, yeah, this is one of those vanity projects. Um, yeah. When I'm always very interested when like New York City Center's encores, they move them onto these. They did it with I think yeah. Sunday in the Park with George a couple of years ago. Um, they did it with this. They were planning on doing it with another one that was during the pandemic that got shut down. Um, it's it's always lovely. I'm always very weirded out when we go minimal on a big Broadway stage. The shade the St. James isn't terribly big, but still. You have this huge house. You have all of these, this this width, this depth, this height, and uh, you're just gonna squeeze it all down into the bare minimum. And I think if you're paying two hundred fifty dollars a ticket, you deserve some spectacle at least. I feel like I one do. of those things where they were like, "But it's different this time." You've seen it so many ways, but not this way. If, um, if Sarah Bareilles isn't holding a tuba, like there is no way that I, it can be that different. Now that would be a show. Into the, the Woods relies really heavily on how weird its ensemble is that they can pull in strange people like Philippa Sue and Sarah Bareilles at the same time as Brian Darcy James and Gavin Creel and Julia Lester from High School Musical. Teek, I don't know if you had seen in my notes for the script, but the person who's playing the narrator and the mysterious man is Jerry Horn from Twin Peaks. Huh. Not Ben. Not Ben Horn no, from no, the know. West Side Story movie. And mm -hmm. like, that was already a mind F for me. But no, David Patrick Kelly. So like, the people that they shove into this musical they usually try and be like but look isn't that weird 
this person that you didn't expect. It's not yeah. enough. We need tubas. We need like light screen projections of them voicing Muppets or something. I don't I'm know. Obsessed with this tuba plan. Into oh, the tuba. Are you, you're not. You, you don't get the reference. No, it's no, the fact it's... that Patty Lapone in what 2006? 2005. Six? Nico's favorite Sweeney. 2005, 2006. They did Sweeney, yeah. Sweeney Todd, where the act there was like nine actors on stage. They were all playing their own instruments, and so like if they took a solo, like everyone around them was playing, and while they're doing other people's songs, Patty Lapone playing Mrs. Lovett is playing the tuba. And the accordion at one point. And And it's just like, wow. Wow. No wonder she doesn't want to go back to Broadway anymore. (laughs) So that's why I'm like into the woods with puppets or shadow boxing. I don't even know. But you need to do something to it. Full on like Disney ripoff riff, I think would be very, would be at least interesting. Would at least get the papers talking. They have the partnership now because of the film. Right, so. like it's fine, it's fine. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's anything particularly exciting. If people win from this, it'll be because we should have given it to them for something else, and we weren't able to. Well, speaking of something that deserves to win a lot, uh, I am a Jason Robert Brown person. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty easy in that regard. You can just mm-hmm. put him on, and I'm set. Uh, Parade is um, so tough and harrowing and uh, it's a it's a really hard story to talk about especially as somebody on the outside of the Jewish community looking in uh, it's a story that you feel you like have no right to and mm-hmm. you should feel pretty inherently guilty about if you're a non-Jewish American <laughs> um, I was prepared to kind of hate Ben Platt in this because I am not a Ben Platt person. Uh, I kind of will never see myself as a Ben Platt person. Brent Carver is kind of irreplaceable in that regard. Um, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by every single moment of this. Uh, For me, the, I mean, and I think for many people, uh, where will you stand when the flood comes is like the number and it's, you know, here it is so goddamn devastating. It's 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 hard to even talk about on camera. It's the so. fact that um, we had Nazis coming in and protesting this thing as it was opening. Like there were Nazis in this in this audience for these shows. Like we we were talking about something that should be so far gone and should be so departed from the average everyday experience that we have now in the 21st century and we're having to deal with this and it makes it very real and very sudden and i as a fellow ben platt non-enthusiast i find him i find this this would be the rehabilitation of him and i think they're gonna give him quite the uh response for this it's a lot any thoughts on parade, which is you know, the the heaviest heaviest thing in a season with a musical about cannibalism? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, to take some of the heat off of Ben Platt, director Michael Arden is someone whose career I have been tangentially aware of for like a good fifteen plus years. I remember him from the original Broadway cast of the 
uh, super queer musical Bear, a pop opera. <gasps> and so I remember, yeah. And so I've been aware of him ever since that. And so uh, we saw him on the Amy Sherman Palladino failure, the return of Jezebel James. And I recognized him. And there can't he be was, three. There can't. Uh, the NBC failed show Kings, where he made out with Sebastian Stan, who played a very gay prince. Uh, I remember that uh, when he played Quasimodo uh, in the super beloved Hunchback. Like, I've been very aware of, of him coming up. And so, you know, seeing him have this opportunity and, you know, as as a queer man in theater who... You know, I, I know it's a queer industry, but it's it's tough making it no matter who you are, no matter what you're trying to do when uh, you got that going down. So the queer energy on this for something that, uh, you know, is so relevant is really great, too. And, you know, the uh, Jewish experience and the queer experience often are very reflective of each other. There is, of course, intersectionality. Hello. Um, in every industry, Jewish people play a large role and often don't tell their own stories or encode their stories in ways that are not particularly obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's always fascinating to see, you know, a directly very Jewish thing. There is there every comic that we talk about was created by a Jewish man uh, and none of the characters are Jewish. Jewish experience yeah. is encoded in, in unique ways. Uh, that is of course hyperbole, not every story, but many of the big ones uh, were written by, by Jewish men. Some of whom were not, you know, always religiously Jewish, but were born of uh, Jewish heritage and culture. Hey, um, sorry. What was that? I said, Hey, Chris Claremont. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, raised, uh, you know, in a, in a way that Judaism, if not a, a religious thing, was still affecting their, their education in significant ways. Uh, but, you know, for all that, we, we don't see a lot of Jewish characters in comic books. Uh, similarly, there are Jewish people throughout uh, the theater industry, throughout Broadway, throughout the uh city of new york uh but we don't see a ton of jewish stories uh again we see them encoded and so to get a full production about uh a jewish experience and one that is tragic in a way that we don't really associate with the Jewish people. You kind of expect if you get a large-scale drama about uh, Jewish tragedy, it's probably going to be the Holocaust. Uh, and so to deal with a much smaller personal story uh, that has a lot to do with the way that an individual Jewish person still to this day uh, runs afoul of anti-Semitism and white supremacy is, uh, I think it's kind of more relevant than ever and more beautiful than ever. Uh, you know, I, 
Ben Platt sucks, so that's kind of unfortunate. But if this draws more attention to you know the the rise of anti-Semitism in America, if Ben Platt's doing a great job, that's all fine with me. Um, yeah, it's I'm I'm very interested. I kind of I'm always really wary of big tragic stories and performances when it comes to award ceremonies because i feel like they're sort of an ability to give an award and go see we really cared please don't ever talk to me about this again yeah if we were going to talk about the plays like i have a four-page thesis on on how the tony voters would deal with uh black plays about tragedy versus black plays with satirical comedy it's a whole different brand yep so you know, the other thing I want to say is, oh, I'm so sorry, Kevin. No, God. I opened with a big joke about Ben Platt, um, you know, being a meme for trying to look young when he was 206. Something that this parade playbill does not shy from is that he is a man playing a man. Mm-hmm. And Which, you know, there's an upgrade in his whole situation. Yeah, trans- you're not trying to be a kid anymore. Good for mm-hmm. you. It transforms my expectation of his performance. And uh, from what I've seen, he delivers. Uh, I I do feel like it's one of those things where it's like, that's that's good, but like kind of too little too late. Uh, and, mm. you know, it's I shouldn't even say too little too late, but how lucky, how privileged to have been sort of notoriously horrible to have tanked an entire film production because of your own ego and desire to do a thing and then to just be able to walk away and you know to have had the training connections and short talent um to find a role that you could sort of recover with Mm -hmm. uh there are so many people who have made better intentioned mistakes that have been smaller disasters that have never recovered yep i have something on that actually (laughs) please um (laughs) i didn't even realize until as i'm like you know looking over notes and stuff it's really funny having his playbill be right next to uh the into the woods playbill considering um his dad produced that movie yeah Mm -hmm. there you go i didn't even realize that of all of the things and uh i sort of gasped because i didn't know that he was a producer on one of my favorite movies a movie musical Josie and the Pussycats. Mm. Um, but then I'm also looking through like Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde 2. Like, you know, he's he, like, yeah, there's stuff on here. All the recent Disney live action stuff. Like, never, never let it be forgotten, you know. Oh, yeah. He's a giant Nepo baby. Giant Nepo baby. 100%. And... But also, he he is talented. Yeah, like, he's very talented. That, that very should not talented. be minimized. It's just, you know, it's, it is similar to that thing of like, if this gets a, an award simply because we feel good giving tragic stories an award and saying that that's kind of us doing our mm-hmm. due diligence, the flip side of that is like this kid just kind of, I said kid, this man just kind of paved over so much stuff solely so he could have runway to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's... It's unfortunate there there are many talented people that don't have that kind of and you know it's what the it's the fact that he doesn't acknowledge it or lift anybody else up right that's really no, you know that's what's really sad yeah speaking of men who eat other people alive 
Yes. So this is my number one favorite musical of all time for the hour and a half I went on about Rent at the beginning. I love Sweeney Todd uh, kind of just slightly more. Um, I think Anthony is the role of a lifetime uh, specifically because it's the greatest vocal performance maybe ever for a man. Uh, it's the creepiest role of all time. Um, it's kind of basically a step between a stalker and a flasher. Uh, he's a fucking freak. But um, Sweeney Todd is the greatest show ever. And some of the greatest actors in the history of modern theater have graced the role. Uh, some of the greatest actresses of all time have defined the role of Mrs. Lovett. Uh, these are two of the greatest of their generation. Um, I didn't want Josh Groban in the role, but I'm sure glad he took it. Anna Lee Ashford is a genius. Um, it's the first time all 26-piece orchestra arrangements have been used uh, since the first ever staging. And it is truly remarkable that this version of Sweeney Todd is able to exist despite what I think is the kind of sullying of the name as a result of the popularization of the Sweeney movie with Johnny Depp kind of getting lumped in with the dark shadows movie with Johnny Depp, like that mm. slew of weird gothy Johnny right. Depp failures <clears throat> all at once. Oh, I didn't realize that did any tainting. Uh, yeah, it kind of became like a joke, like, Oh, that, that Johnny Depp eats people movie. It's funny that you say that though, because I just I feel like that has so fallen out of public consciousness and relevant. Johnny Depp's own, you know, films and scandals have gone so far beyond that. I feel like all things considered, there couldn't be kind of a better time for this thing to emerge as its own thing, entirely divorced from this man, without it like without that movie dragging it down. I could be wrong about that, but I just feel like I've seen so few references to the fact that that movie exists or should in any way color your uh, thoughts about this inc incarnation of the musical. I agree. And it's also been a surprisingly long time since we had one on stage. Mm. Uh, on Broadway, we had a we had a downtown yeah, version. One. We had a downtown version that like did a did a bunch of really crazy cool stuff with it. Um, but I think this is a really exciting way to get this show back into kids. I think we're if we're gonna revamp something, make it one of the weird, well known ones. Um, because like there's nothing like that steam whistle to scare the bejeebus out of you. Oh my god. My god. So I'm excited. I love Anna Lee Ashford, so I'm in. Gabu. I mean, you know, I'm married to you. I don't really have much choice on seeing it. I'm intrigued, uh, for sure. I am super hyped on Jordan Fisher, who I love from so many things. What's the face? Oh no, I just remembered that the Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford did a great Easter bonnet uh swapping skit and I'm trying to remember what they did this Ooh, year. Oh, fun. But yeah, it seems like a great cast with great energy and that's super important for something like this. So yeah. I'm just excited that 
It's an actor like Josh Groban taking the chance. He's a guy who's known for his vocals. And I think one of the things is so many people are like, I'm going to play Sweeney like a crazy man. And like, I think Josh Groban just wants to come in and sing real good and look a little spooky. Yeah. And like, okay. You know, I think Mrs. Lovett is the star. I think she's the real draw here. I think what I want more than anything is a Sweeney Todd musical show. Like two, six episode seasons, act mm. one, act two. I think we are so much closer to that than we've ever been. And I, you know, I mean, I think that is kind of the joy of the era that we're living in insofar as when huge mistakes do happen with movies, your next best option is to be like, well, yeah, why don't we do it as a as a streaming show? And I think that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend leading this musical TV show charged the way that it did. You know, I know there have been so many. It's just my first example. But specifically, the way that it was generally between one and three numbers per week, like for an average of two. And I think that showed how you can have a TV show that is this kind of dramatic musical and have it be something that uh, can deliver on both fronts of being television and um, not oversaturating or underutilizing the musical elements. So I want to zoom out for a moment. Kevo, can you show us all six amazing shows? Yeah. All right. Well, the revives. There is a little bit less uh, who's going to get it and a little bit more Tori. Guys, do you think any of these six will not be on the nomination list? Personally, Dancing. I think Danson might uh, not mm. make the list. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's going to come down to Parade, Sweeney, or Into the Woods. I was going to say, I feel like people are very comfortable not giving Aaron Sorkin awards for his bullshit. And I think that 1776 just as Tori said, ran afoul critically, you know, uh, from not the, not the production, the, the vibes, yeah. bad vibes. Yeah. Vibes are bad. Yeah. I think this is going to be one of those where I actually don't even think that into the woods is really going to be on here anymore. Maybe if parade hadn't come in, it would have still been a contender, but I really do think it's going to come down to parade and Sweeney Todd. And I think parade's going to take it. Do you think that it's going to sweep? Uh, no, I don't. I don't see actually any of the shows this year pulling any kind of sweep, except for that. maybe production. And actually, I actually think the sweeps are going to come far more in the play categories, which apparently I prepared a little too much for, like in like a silly, silly bean. But um, I think the musicals are going to be very scattered, for sure. Guys, what do you guys think? Any uh, any votes if you think it's going to go to Parade, Sweeney, Woods, Camelot, 1776, Dancing? I do not know enough to comment on that in particular. I do think that the thing that I said about Parade, wherein, you know, I mean, this is true of all award ceremonies. I don't know enough about Tony culture to speak to that specifically, but we do love, you know, a convenient tragedy upon which to heap sympathy as a way of saying like our group gets it that's why we mm -hmm. gave it to those guys uh and that's sort of my it's just an instinct about human nature more than it is an understanding of anything that is going on in this particular subculture yeah it's a concern 
for sure. And I certainly echo that. I love when people think that parade is like carousel. Yeah. Like I told you I thought it was about parade I magazine mean, and I'm kind of disappointed that it's not. Considering that I straight up said to Nico, I was like, hey, where's Daniel Radcliffe in all of this? And then I had to realize that like Merrily was already closed and off Broadway and it's not going to come to Broadway till the fall. And I was like, right, Merrily is different from Parade. Like, I'm a mess. <laughs> it's far too happy a title. And that's why I really appreciate the Playbill cover that they gave it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of put the star on the cover of your Playbill. And, like, I actually, until I was getting the material for this episode and saw that, like, yeah, okay, that's a really old thing. There's one from, like, the 60s for Camelot with Julie Andrews on it. I was like, this is gauche, but I'm not going to call Julie Andrews gauche. So I take that yeah. back. Yeah. It's, um, what it is for me is that now all of a sudden, whenever you replace that star, you have to have a new one. So then yeah. it becomes, is it and about the star the or ones. is it about the show? Like for Chicago, yeah, you're every time you flip out Roxy Hart or Velma Kelly, you're going to get a new one because it's, it's stunt casting. That's the point of it. But we're moving into a world where we want less uh, people on it and more just graphic design. And I think it's smarter in the long run to not have to change everything up every single time. Mm-hmm. I agree. Tori, it has been a pleasure, a dream, uh, an absolute scream, uh, uh, an amazing finale, a breathtaking opener, an entract. Um, it's been a couple of technical awards too, sound design, set design. Uh, you have given our production legitimacy, uh, experience, and uh, most notably, your personal touch. And I want to thank you for being here. And if you wouldn't mind telling us where we can find you in the future. You can find me on Instagram at SMTori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan, where I will probably be giving you my latest thesis on why Fat Ham and Leopoldstadt and uh, Ain't No Mo is going to make it for a tough best play this year. So come on down, say hello, and uh, remind me of my old life. Because I do miss it a little. Also, your tweets are protected, so good luck reading her tweets. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, everything's protected because I'm looking for a new job. <laughs> so, Tori, <laughs> until next time, thanks for hanging with us, and we'll talk to you real soon. Bye! Bye, Tori. Okay, so now, uh, are, are we still down for the game? Do we want to save the game? It's up to you. You the boss. <sighs> You're Mona. Well, I'm Mona, actually, but you're Angela, so. That makes him. That makes, uh, this one over here, Tony Danza. Yeah, I am 100% yeah. Tony Danza. You are 100% that Danza. You don't dance enough for us. I feel and... like I do. Okay, that's fair. That actually is fair. You know. <laughs> that's so, what I'm thinking about it. <laughs> we, uh, well, we did a thing where we wanted to pair off the drag queens from... RuPaul's Drag Race season 15 with uh, matching musicals from this season. You see, there's 16 musicals this, well, 15 musicals this season, plus the Tony Awards themselves, as well as 16 amazing ladies in the season 15 uh, crew. And uh, we put together just like a little list of who might go in each one. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So, uh, 
I think, uh, should I go first, guys? I mean, are we going to go play by play and each give our... I figured we were going play by play. Yeah. Okay. So then... Um, yes, yeah, so I'm going to have to look up each one because my list is queen by queen. But that's okay. This won't be that hard. So to start with <laughs> Anne Juliet, uh, because I definitely did also do it queen by queen. Uh, I put sugar... Oh no, you're fine. Nico, I, I put sugar too, and I'll tell you. I bet you gave did the same one for spice that I did. Uh, I was just like, you know what, sugar, you are just the right kind of cute little queer for this show. Yep. You can come in and be like, where am I dingling at, Romeo? Where am I dingling at? And uh, this kind of sucks. You kind of suck. This is great. You're great. Like it's the vibe is exactly correct in the same sugar doing a cover of Kesha's blow that is completely ill-advised on every level works for me. Uh, I get that. The cast recording one does not people. So anyway, I, yeah. I actually love this one it and I will be uh, campaigning for it to happen. Kevo, I see you've weighed in with the same vote. Yeah, I was getting ready for the broadcast. So I only have to do my homework on this one. And so I was like, I'll let them talk me into any of that ones that I don't have strong feelings on. And, you know, I'd considered uh, Sugar for this for sure. Amethyst as well. Um, you know, like the the fun, silly queens. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think Sugar is probably the better one for this. Now, for Almost Famous... Our music. I actually, for uh, Almost Famous, I put Spice here. Because oh, wow. We have a different Spice pick. Okay. I thought Spice would be like... I'm almost famous. Pick me. Oh, I like that. I do. So That's I love the idea of the fundamental misunderstanding of the assignment on Spice's part. For me, I chose Mistress because I feel like a role like Penny Lane or a groupie or somebody who is just like considered hot for kind of like just doing nothing but being a lady would just really work uh i also you know i loved like to challenge the convention of like what a groupie is and who's hot by having a big girl somebody who would be t traditionally told she's not attractive uh just to be kind of the boss bitch of all the girls uh i thought that'd be really fun i wanted to give her kind of a high profile Ooh. one befitting her station so uh my pick for almost famous was mistress You know what? I really like all of that. So I'm going to also, especially for just, you know, lack of really any better idea of what to do with her. I, I really get where I feel like she would really match the energy of that type of story and everyone being um, a little bit me first, even with uh, a huge amount of softness underneath it. Now, for Bad Cinderella, mm -hmm. I said there's only one little queen who could do that. And that's, of course, Cinderella herself, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Ah. I just didn't think anybody else represented Andy Lloydy Webby mm -hmm. the the way that uh, Andy Lolo, sorry, Andy Lolo Webby, the way uh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha could, could, could. 
So I kind of feel like Bad Cinderella and Anne Juliet are the same thing. So mm-hmm. I chose Spice for this one because, you know, she has to have the one with bad in the name because she's, she's the bad Bratz doll. Um, I... I feel like, you know, I mean, she could she could take any of the roles. I feel like Stepsister is probably right where we want Spice in this particular situation. But, like, I see a lot of possibilities. Um, I, of all of these shows, this one, I really did have the most. And, Nico, when you said it, I immediately realized I actually maybe did not dislike any of the music, but maybe did dislike all of the lyrics. Yes. Um, and so just that aspect of it, I was really like, Sugar and Spice in these two shows that... Um, you know, our spins on a classic tale that have an aspect of them that's really cool, but are like also face planting in a way is just like this is the twins at their most twin. Let's do it. Mm, okay, I see that. Um, I think I am going to go with uh, Miss Selena as titties. Because I am trying to imagine someone who could perhaps elevate Mm. the work with their energy. Uh, I think it's uh, something she matches the energy of, uh, especially like how bombastic she can be. And I think that uh, the emotion uh, that she has would really also soften a lot of what is sort of caustic in Bad Cinderella. I'll tell you what else. It would be fascinating to give the entire cast a, a Latinx bent um, mm, and absolutely. maybe even to let that filter into the production and the music a little bit. Yeah, I think that would probably add a lot more to it to something that really just sort of ended up feeling like you made it. Yeah. Good. Good job. Well, uh, for the Neil Diamond musical, A Beautiful Noise. <laughs> what, what, honey? I'm just I don't even know. What do you, what oh. do you? Who, oh, no, I have yeah. an answer. Uh, I even oh. got specific. I've cast a person in the role. Okay. In the role of old Neil Diamond, I've cast Mistress. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> I'm locking that in for you. You are the worst. Uh, would you well, like you... to expound on that decision at all, Nico? No. Okay. I think I honestly think she would love hate it. I think she would I definitely that. think she would hate it. I want to hear her sing Sweet Caroline. I love that. Uh I gave it to Princess Poppy. I feel like she'd be really camp about it and very white. Very white. Uh I feel like I'm kind of punishing her, you know, like give us more and we'll give you more. But also I feel like it would be one of those things where she would just do something really camp and funny and caustic and it would be like uh she'd be like photo bombing this musical in a way that i think would be really funny yeah i actually i wasn't sure on this one um who do you even uh but then i also when i was thinking about it i was like yeah i guess princess poppy would be a good one uh for beautiful noise like you said, she would camp it up or something. Yeah. Who else to even give it to? <laughs> yeah. I think Amethyst would really 
embody Ooh. like the odd teenagerness of Kimberly. Oh, Akimbo. that's a good one. She would really like give over to that sweetness, that childhood fun. Um, and I would love to see Amethyst shine in that. Uh, I gave it to Selena because I feel like the kids have a little bit of a bad kid bent to them, but with a ton of heart and a lot of sweetness and a lot of love for each other. Yo, it's okay that you got progeria. Yes, I, that is nailed it. Uh, I, I just, I, I also wanted to give her one that I felt like had some, uh, prestige and hype. Uh, I think she can't sing. She did rap her song, but I want to believe that like when she gets it, she goes and gets voice lessons and it turns out has a really beautiful voice. And she also, uh, Amethyst is a good, it's funny. Like a lot of them don't feel like they could play teens, even the ones that seem young to me. Selena definitely seems older, but when I was looking at the cast, it's in that way where I'm like, but she could play a teen in this musical because that's how you do it. Yeah, uh, she just felt right. I hadn't really been sure what to do with Amethyst. I, you know, uh, thought about a few different places for her. But yeah, I really think um, apart from maybe Bad Cinderella or Anne Juliet, I think Kimberly Akimbo uh, really matches her energy well. Um, yeah. It's the song that I listened to about the girl who's like, this is all the ways that like committed fraud to stay alive. And I was like, I feel like Selena's titties could sing that song really well. I feel like she's done it. Yeah. Um, now I'm worried that this one maybe is a little too on the nose and I don't want to get any. Kind no, of... we, I think, cause I think it's kind of the only option. I yeah. think it might be a problem if you don't put aura on yeah. K-pop. Yeah. I mean, she did kill this love. Like I don't, yeah. I mean, come on guys. Like, write in and give us a better option you're racist for, for me it's it's specifically the energy that she serves with yes. her performances are yeah. very acrobatic and 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 rigid and on the beat and and intense and physical and that's a lot more what i feel embodies uh k-pop absolutely now, for New York, New York, uh, you know, I I had a hard time with this one, and I, I don't disagree with the casting I did, but <laughs> I gave it's this one casting. I gave casting. this one to Jax. And oh, yeah, same. Um, it's because I thought that she could do a really good thick New York kind of style dance, like a real heavy foot, a real outdoor energy something very befitting of like the jazz of candor and ebb she moves very jazz like absolutely and i thought that she could really embody new york new york the problem is i don't really see her in at the moment as like a a powerful scene stealing center of the stage actress so it's a little hard to put her in new york new york but i see her in that very you know sid charisse i'm the dancer girl kind of role i mean that's just the game so but yeah so I was not going to give her what she wanted and give Marsha, Marsha, Marsha into the woods, but I did want to give her something befitting of a New York queen who is really into theater and who is well-trained. 
this was it for me. This felt like a really good place for her that she would think was not what she wanted, but then she ended up excelling at. For Marsha? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, you know, given the source material uh, and who has played the role in the past, I think uh, this is a real star vehicle for a, for a talented person who's motivated uh, so, you know, I want to recognize that she is a talented person who's motivated, but I also want to recognize she's probably a brat and probably wanted into the woods, and I'm not giving her that. <laughs> now, I did give someone what they wanted for this next one. Mm. I just kind of felt like Malaysia was the right person to put in Shucked mm. so that whether it's, uh, you know, uh, lip syncing independently owned or performing it, this way we're sure that a big beautiful black woman is playing that role and it's not gonna be lucy so um i said malaysia baby doll fox yeah i think same probably it's a tough one because it's really good yeah i gave it to lux uh lux is one of the few that has shown any ability to sing and i feel like uh with with real vocal training for whatever motivation uh lux could really sing uh i thought this was a a play that had really solid roles for a black woman um and this is another one where i'm like i i know you want one that's fashion but i'm not giving you that i'm giving you the one where ultimately i think you will shine in ways that would shock people and uh you know, yeah. it might not be your first choice, but I think you would be the biggest success at this one. And I think you're really talented. So I want to give you one that speaks to your talent. I get that. That's actually why I gave Lux the lead in Some Like It Hot. Which I love. I and I think makes perfect sense. Uh, and actually is probably a better choice than mine. I gave Some Like It Hot to Jax. I really, really, oh. really, that's where I also could have seen Jax going. Yeah. Yep. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know quite what the choreography is between the two, uh, New York, New York, or um, some like it hot, but I knew that it should be a queen of color. You know, I think it should be somebody who like Amber Ruffin can look at and be like, yes. Uh, and I felt like just Jax's ability to move and embody uh, really spoke to me. I gave it to Robin because I really feel like Robin got such an unfair edit this season. And she mm. was always so sweet and had this really lovely energy that I think would bring something uh, really wonderful to the lead of this. Uh, and so that's just sort of where it jumped out at me i another person that i had down for it originally was selena because i think that she also can show such a vulnerability when she chooses to she can either be incredibly crass or she can be incredibly vulnerable like in her lip sync for um that's what i want like i so it would really depend on the energy that you brought to it and i think that robin would probably be a safer bet then well, and that's why I put Robin in 1776. I thought with Ooh. this, mm. you know, very gender flipped, 
racially reconstructed 1776, Robin carries herself with such a dignity that really does become a political figure. And so I felt Robin was the choice for 1776. Yep. I chose Robin as well for exactly the reasons that you said. I also felt like uh, it was potentially a chance to really costume beautifully uh and i think that is a place that robin has really shined i just thought like if, if this is what they're going for anyway where they are trying to uh kind of you know uh gender flip to race flip to give us actors that we wouldn't normally see this would be a place where like her gravitas and her you know dignity and kindness would really come into play I, you know, only know so much about 1776, but I find it to be very, you know, dramatic and, uh, you know, bombastic in that way. So in thinking of what I would find entertaining and who I think would take this role incredibly seriously in a way that I would very much enjoy, I had to go with Lucy. Mm. I would probably enjoy seeing that. I I love that. I think I can see it. So for dancing, for me, uh, the choice here was Anitra. Uh, yep. You know, she's such a good dancer. I would just want to see her skills mm. as a dancer celebrated. Uh, not that I don't think she's an actress, but I just don't know. And I'm much more suited to seeing her dance. Yeah, no, I, it was that simple. I want her doing Fosse choreography. Please. Thank you immediately that's that's a done deal for me there's so many of these people that like i keep forgetting people and i keep being like fuck i'm gonna have to find a person for that person but i'm gonna go with who i originally thought of for this which is lux of all people no i, I think that's, do that's feel another really good choice anitra is a better dancer but i think that uh lux has a very unique physicality yep. uh with the shape of her body and the way that she moves in yep. a way that i would uh, be a lot more fascinated to see how she would do in dancing as opposed to anything I ever go see Anitra in for the rest of my life. I I fully believe I am going to absolutely get my money's worth and it doesn't matter what it is. Fox but, choreography yeah. also isn't like super difficult. So like, I mean, Anitra's obviously the more skilled dancer, but Lux isn't bad as we saw. I think she could kill all of the dancing and the sort of fashion component of a Fosse stage show would really be good for Lux. I think you, I think you nailed that one. Mm -hmm. uh, for this next one for Camelot, I have Poppy down. Uh, it was just sort of like I had no one left, and Poppy's Guinevere. Sorry. Uh, I for Camelot. Uh, did Irene? Uh, Ooh, I thought she would uh, speak really well to the costuming. Um, and you know, we didn't see enough of her to really see what her like acting chops are or anything, but like Irene, uh, in a Sorkin joint somehow, I, I don't know. It, it could work. Um, I'm going to give this one to Marsha, you know, uh, very similar vibes to into the woods, but yep. a lot more classical. Uh, so I, yeah. I actually gave the role of the witch in Into the Woods to Irene. I thought oh, wow, you're kind. cursing me. 
because she's an alien swamp witch. She's alien spooky. Um, that would be good. I gave it to Malaysia. I thought uh, makeup. Um, you know, I wanted to give her. I know that's her thing. Uh, I thought she could do really interesting and unique makeup. And I thought, you know, it's it's a perfect place for a young black queen to be that we wouldn't normally see one that would be kind of a positive disruptor. Hmm. So I realized I have backed myself into a conundrum where I was going to end up with Spice as the host. <sighs> Uh, because I was going to say I'd love to see Anitra as the witch, as pretty much anything. Uh, so instead, I'm going to toss Spice in here because you know what? A really dopey Red Riding Hood, yeah, or something like that. I think she that? could probably pull that off with her mm -hmm. little prance. As yeah, Jacqueline? yeah. Okay, not <laughs> because I'm a big fan, but I gave Lucy Parade, and it's because. I genuinely believe Lucy would take it too seriously and you need to take parade too seriously. Yeah. So I gave parade to Lucy. I gave and it to Amethyst off the assumption that she's Jewish. I still don't know that we know that for sure. Uh, but if that's right, uh, nailed it. And if it's wrong, I'm the problem. So Amethyst, either way, you're great. Um, this is actually where I was going to put Irene. I think she gives such uh, dramatic vibes. I would be interested to see uh, what she could bring to that. I'm sorry. Did we all save Sasha Colby for Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd? No. I actually, my alternate for that would be Lucy, though. That was something that I came to where I was like, my alternate as a Mrs. Lovett for Sweeney Todd would definitely be Lucy. Mine I think I prefer Lucy. Sasha. Okay. Lucy has shown that she is committed to horror. Yeah, uh, I get that. She is committed to being over the top. And um, she would thrive in a role where you can do it if you can't sing well. If you can, it's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But you That's can true. make the role work if you can embody, like, especially like horror, if you can embody that type of woman, but you can't necessarily sing the best. Helen and Bottom Carter disagrees. Mass around the house. Um, okay. No, Sasha oh Colby God, is, of course, the host. That. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a great selection. I think I ultimately by picking Spice where I did, uh, ended up with Anitra, who also would be a uh, great host. Fun she energy. would do an incredible rap like uh, Ariana DeBose. Yeah. I have Selena Estides hosting for that reason. I th I th she was high on my list too. Another I think that's a great, great choice. Host. Yep. Wow, this was so much fun, guys. I loved this. Yeah. Now, uh, we have some amazing broadcasts coming your way. Tomorrow night at 6 p.m., we're doing a rundown of how everything is changing at Marvel these last couple of months. It's going to be a great time. It's sort of the end of an era for Marvel with changes over in the X-Books, Daredevil, the Avengers, a new series for Blade because he's out of Avengers now. Lots of great stuff. Then next week, we have uh, some groundbreaking stuff for us, and I'm so excited. On Saturday at 3-ish or 4-ish, we'll figure it out, uh, we are going to be covering 
Final Fantasy in a way we've never done on here. We've got the pixel remasters for Final Fantasy 1 through 6, as well as Theatre Rhythm Final Bar Line. We're going to be talking a little bit about my favorite game series ever. Very excited about that. Before Sunday, we look at everything Guardians ever, basically. Everything MCU Guardians. Uh, after that, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, like Drag Race All-Stars and Muppet Mayhem on Disney+. Plus. Plus, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom right after it comes out in May. So we've got a really exciting docket. We've expanded into some new stuff. We're seeing some great reaction to it. We love doing this stuff with you guys. Uh, you know, all said and done, I love learning from Tori. I love doing musicals. Musicals are my thing. And uh, I'm just so glad to have done this with you guys. You know, shucked forever. Sweeney Todd. I'm glad they're not putting people in the corn. That's just Soylent Green. But, um, you know. Not a musical ever? Probably, no, right? not yet. But it's give coming. me time. Oh, also, I need to do this. So I do have a body of work that I can point to. If you happen to own the rights to Miss Congeniality. I would like to do the Miss Congeniality musical. Uh, I would really like to see uh, Sutton Foster. I'm going to say her name for real. Uh, that's as serious as us. Yeah, that's as serious as this is. Uh, in a lead role, um, very open ideas about casting uh, actresses of every color. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have non-binary but femme presenting people in roles i'd be leaning into drag for some performers i don't give a shit uh you know there's a lot to that musical that would be great so if you happen to own the rights to miss congeniality hey what's up uh oh no that was my sexy hi uh, hello yeah maybe yeah it's a modern business age i don't know let me write your music give them a oh. show let's right. out yeah so I can't wait till we do more of that amazing content that we've been mentioning. Uh, but until then, TK, how was your first time foraying into musicals on the show? It was uh, it was great. I mean, you know, I Tori comes in and schools me on a subject where I know so much more than she does comic books. So it's uh, kind of refreshing for it to be one where I uh, I, I expected that she would yeah. know more than me that was you know uh not heartbreaking like every time she just has hotter x-men takes than i do but whatever uh and you know i i listened to a bunch of new music uh and i googled through a lot of confusion which is just kind of my day anyway so why not do it with musicals why not kevo was this everything you've been looking forward to and more it's everything I've ever dreamed of ever since I was a little girl. Um, mm. It was fun. It was exciting. Uh, I'm glad that we talked about a lot of these musicals. Uh, I'm excited for us to see them as a family. Uh, picked up some new things to listen to. So that'll be exciting. You know, this for me was exactly what I wanted it to be. Kind of a homecoming of everything that I love. And uh, now we're going to do the true New York experience. And we're going to go finish this off with some Chinese food. So Ooh, so excited. Oh, yeah. Scallion pancakes oh, after a musical. That's how you do. So, all right. Until we come back, uh, where can everybody find you? TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. All right, Kevo, where can everybody find you? You can find me on the socials at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Hey, Kevo, where can everybody find my work? Oh, oh, you mean your award-winning comic book work in the anthology series young men in love that i mocked up a new advert 
four last night that I'm very excited to share. Thank you for knowing me so well. And you are welcome for loving you so well because uh, you work so hard and you're so smart. And uh, this was a really cool project that you should be very proud of. And uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, it's, there's not enough light. That's why it's doing it. It's like shade. Yeah. Well, all right. Now that I look uh-huh. like I've become part of the wall, uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back next time, remember, guys, keep your lights lit. Keep your gateways open. Don't forget, we're going to be covering some amazing new stuff like video games, movies, musicals, and more every Saturday and Sunday for the rest of time. So until Ever. then, uh, like, subscribe, and love us. Please. We'll love you too. And we'll see you.